Sitting in a box undigified Gonna rewind and give them one more try Think about the days of lo-fi Mixtape Memorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day Mixtape Phonograph and dual cassette Before you could get everything on the internet But some things ain't made it there yet Mixtape Line in, line out if you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker, turn the volume to nine Here's an accidental slice of time Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is side A of The Worst Songs Ever Recorded, where we curate a collection of the most awful songs ever to hit the airwaves. <laughs> We've been talking about doing this for a while. We have, yes. Um, originally, it was going to be our October uh, two-part episode. We we pushed it back because of Jimmy Buffett's uh, death. But, yeah, we, we were actually going to kind of advertise it as a Halloween themed episode songs, right, songs, right. songs that are so, so bad they're scary <laughs> right, yeah right. Um, but uh, this one was hard as hell I mean I, as I kept playing with different configurations of, of songs I mean they would make my list I'd take them off I, I kept swapping it became apparent that we could have a second podcast on worst songs and never Never, oh, yeah. never run out of material. Well, well, of course, there are thousands of, of terrible songs, right? That can be found as filler material on numerous records. Absolutely. Going back the last 50 years, right? Um, but that's no fun just picking bad songs no one's ever heard of, right? Yep. Now, there are a couple, I think, on, on, on both of our lists that are a little more obscure, and, and, but they're rightfully in our, in our list when people hear how bad they are. And, and it's more the artist, I think, that's surprising um, for some of, of the songs that we're going to, uh, to bring up. But... Um, I think we've chosen the worst songs that most people have heard and most of them that have hit at some time in the rock era. In fact, I, a majority of mine were number one songs. Majority of mine were as well. <laughs> yeah, they were. I, um, you know, there, this parallels in a lot of ways the, the Guilty Pleasure episode yes, that we did yes. a while ago. These are basically Guilty Pleasure songs that we don't like. We don't like, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. I, um, I, I don't know. I, I was tempted to put on a few of my guilty pleasures because I acknowledge that they are horrible songs. But I really wanted to rant. Yeah. You know, right, right. so, you know, the the artists that and songs that I know are objectively bad that I, I enjoy either for masochistic reasons or just because sometimes I feel bad for the artist in question. I'm soft and start, almost start rooting for them. I, I, I left, <laughs> left them off the list. But I... Um, Oh man, so many songs, so many I wanted to include. Choosing, limiting ourselves to twelve on this one was, it was brutal. Well, yeah, and I was trying to think, you know, what 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 makes a song awful, right? And I kind of went down a rabbit hole for a while, um, and I, I kind of came back to this idea that you know, personal taste, of course, is subjective, right? Oh yeah. Um, and we understand that any creative endeavor takes inspiration and hard work. So all of these songs, somebody put a lot of time and passion into them. Well, maybe. I don't know. But <laughs> Not necessarily. Uh, the benefit of the doubt. Um, and that's good. And I, I don't want to crap all over that, right? Um, 
just please understand that we are having fun with these picks, and we understand that all of these songs are loved by their intended audiences. We just don't happen to like them Correct. at all. Correct, <laughs> yes. So it's more of a personal list of songs that we hate, maybe for, I know some of them are, are, are particular reasons, or some just for whatever reason never resonated or, or became an earworm that just mm-hmm. was pure hell. Um, so yeah, the, I'm sure there are, like you mentioned, thousands of other songs we could have chosen. Um, these are our personal worst. Yeah. Well, and, you know, in terms of worst songs, I, I think it comes down to a. there, there are three factors, really. Um, there's just bad instrumentation, you know, that's repetitive, that's uh, rudimentary, very simple, just not, you know, it, it's not a melody that. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go Song anywhere. Doesn't, yeah. yeah. Uh, then you have imbecilic lyrics. <laughs> oh, yeah. We <laughs> you <those>. know, <laughs> and then lastly, you have just really awful delivery yeah. you know people who cannot sing that really should should have stayed in, in their lane I, um, well, I even have a song where like as far as the introduction and and the verse um, it, it's a great song and then the chorus is so bad it, it ruins the entire song yeah and, and it's hard for me and some of these I'm like wow but yeah when, you, when taken as a whole they all belong on my list yep agreed and this is the first time we've ever done a worst of you know, we, we've talked about it in a number of ways. I, I'm just going to throw this out there. The 1970s have to be the worst decade for music. Yes. Uh, oh, for, at least for, for uh, bad oh, songs. For bad songs, Obviously, yeah. a lot of great music produced in the Oh, I, yeah, yeah. Um, but but, but the, uh, maybe the best decade for the worst music, I guess, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 1970s, it was just, I could have, I, I, my list at one time was all 70s music. The 90s, are a really close second, actually. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I feel like the 90s are underrepresented on my, on my list, but it just, everything seemed to come down to those two decades with the smattering here and there of the 80s and 2000s. It, it was just really, I was kind of just amazed at how yeah. bad those two decades, yeah. 1970s, without question, being the worst of the two, but it was just... Wow. Well, and I know some of these picks, people are going to, in the, in the audience are going to be angry <laughs> because they're songs they love. And it's funny, after I made me my picks, I went online just to kind of see it. I know there are some readers' polls like Rolling yeah, Stone. and I did the same. It's um, been Magazine and so forth. And looking through the, there was a couple songs, there were a couple songs that kept popping up that really offended me because I think they're great songs. One example is true by Spandau Ballet. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a masterpiece of, of pop music. I agree. And, and it, it popped up on some lists. So, um, you know, just just understand. I'm sure there are songs that you would put on your list uh, out there that, that that we would. So you know, it's just very personal. It is. I mean, it's it's entirely subjective. There is no right or wrong answer to this. Um, you know, what what I think really uh, is going to be apparent to our listeners, perhaps, is that these are the conversations we had in high school that caused everyone around us to believe we were music snobs. <laughs> well, we are music snobs. We are music we snobs. We were and we yes, are, but yes, 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 yes. But I mean, as I was going it through the list, it. It, yeah, I mean, it just, it became readily apparent to me that we haven't changed all that much. No. <laughs> so, but, you know, there are songs that others hate that that I love. Barbie Girl, that makes everyone's list of worst songs. I love Barbie Girl. And I Girl. love Barbie Girl. Yeah. Um, I'm Too Sexy by 
you know. Well, I, I can't back you up on I, that. Yeah, I know, I know. But I included that for the 91 episode <laughs> right, a long right. time ago. Uh, uh, tub Thumping is another one. I, yeah, I'm yeah. neutral on that Are one, you? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, you hear it so much in sporting events. It's you do. Just, I've become yeah. sick of it. It's, um, it's a fine song. I, there are a lot of, and one that everybody else seems to absolutely hate is Lady in Red by Krista Berg. I, yeah, I've yeah, always kind of neutral in that. Yeah, I've always liked the song. I, I just I don't know, uh, but you know I admit I have questionable tastes. <laughs> so, and and really, the majority of songs that I do have here, I saw them on the lists of worst songs when I went you know to get an idea. So I don't feel like I'm totally alone. Um, but I don't know. I, it's good to have questionable tastes. Yeah. I think at times. I mean, don't trust people who only like critic-approved music. Right. That's yeah, <laughs> right out the door. Well, shall we get started? Oh yeah, let's do this. All right, you're okay. up. Okay. Well, my first selection uh, is a song that was released as a video, only as a video, in 2011. Uh, it was by Rebecca Black, ah. and it is titled Friday. First of all, the day that everything changed for Rebecca Black was a Friday, okay? It was March 11th, 2011. Uh, the then 13-year-old got an unexpected notification about a YouTube comment when she was at school. The commenter had seen the video for her then unknown song Friday on a popular blog and felt compelled to write, the song sucks. And she was dumbfounded. And you know, as soon as she got home from school that day, she ran to her computer and began scrolling through comments that were far worse than that first one. Black was seeing the first of what would eventually be millions, millions of comments slagging the video. Now, now Friday was on its way to becoming one of the biggest viral phenomena of the 2000s. Over the next three months, the song would be viewed 167 million times, making it the most watched YouTube video of that year. But people weren't watching because they loved it. <laughs> I, instead, they were baffled, uh, amused, disdainful, confounded, in some cases horrified. Uh, the song was dubbed the worst video ever made, and it became the most disliked song to that point in YouTube's history. The entire internet seemed to unite in making fun of it and in making fun of the then 13-year-old girl who sang it, uh, whose whole life would be upended. By that, that was probably notoriety. before they monet you could monetize on YouTube? 
don't know um, if you're going to get to that, but I would say she's laughing all the way to the bank because today, with that, regardless of why people were watching, she'd be a very rich woman. Yeah, I don't. Um, I but do, back then, maybe not. Yeah, I do not think that was the case at that time. Just a few months before Friday took off, okay, Black was a regular middle schooler. She was living in Anaheim, California. She was a self-described theater kid with aspirations to go to New York University or Berkeley College of Music to train to become a performer. And she was told to check out a company called Arc Music Factory. Arc Music Factory was not a typical record label. This was a label that couldn't afford to put up the money to sign artists in the typical way. Instead, the artists would pay the label using Arc Music like a one-stop shop. For a couple thousand dollars, Arc Music would write a song, get a studio, produce the song, take photos, record a video, and even submit all of that to a more legitimate music label. And, that, and did the artists have to pay? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's we're kind of scam territory. It, it, it is, yeah. Now, founder Patrice Wilson and his producing partner hoped to develop a variety of talent. But from the very first audition, it became clear that their company only appealed to one demographic, teenagers and their parents. <laughs> the only people who could afford to put up the money. Now, from that first audition, it was all kids all the time. And Arc Music tried to go with being selective, but they were also starting a business and they needed the money. So at the time Arc Music was starting, YouTube was the hub of internet virality. And it was possible to strike viral gold from just one YouTube video. So all of Arc Music's songs were posted there in the hopes that this would happen. But more practically, Wilson relied on YouTube to share the videos with parents who were his actual customers and to get the videos passed around among friends, frenemies, and, and schoolmates, creating the word of mouth network that fed his business. That's how Rebecca Black heard about Arc Music. One of her schoolmates had worked with them. She saw the video and she immediately asked her mom if she could make one herself. Even though it cost $4,000, her mom said yes. So, obviously, they, you know, they weren't hurting. So, $4,000, I, I just, I balk at that number, you know. Well, I mean, if, yeah, if you can pay for your own studio time and it wouldn't probably be that much. Now, if this company had promotional muscle, it might be worth it. But it sounds like they were kind of an upstart and didn't maybe have the connections that they claimed to have. Yeah, exactly. So... Wilson, he actually wrote Black a love song originally. It was titled Superwoman. But when Black heard it, she balked. She was 13 years old, and the song was, she felt very racy, okay? She felt very uncomfortable with the situation. And in turning Superwoman down, she put Wilson, who was churning out material for all of his clients, on a pretty tight deadline to write a new song for her. So at 1 a.m., the morning before Black was scheduled to record, Wilson still did not have a song. He sat down at his keyboard, selected a beat, and began repeating Friday, Friday, because, well, it was the early hours of Friday morning. 13-year-old Rebecca Black loved the song. Recalling, this works, this is true, she said, I liked to hang out with my friends on the weekends, and I went to school. I really didn't think that much about it, and nobody was ever going to hear it anyway. So as with everything else about arc music, the process of making the video for Friday was both way more professional than it could have been and also kind of a shoestring. They, they used a green screen, but the video was also shot at Black's dad's house. They wanted a school bus, but they could only afford a convertible. <laughs> and in the video, those are Black's real friends, and that's Wilson in the video performing the rap verse. On February 10th, 2011, Arc Music uploaded the finished video to YouTube and sent it to Black, who watched it for the first time thinking, that, oh my God, I am so awkward, okay? 
she's a 13 year old kid so she didn't write the song no. I, I just always assumed she had yeah, written no, the song she didn't write it but Awkward doesn't even begin to describe this video or this song the video exists in this strange netherworld between amateur and professional at first glance the video sounds and looks passably polished but then you start to notice all sorts of problems with it the robotic monotone effect to Black's auto-tuned voice alone makes the song unbearable but add to that the rap verse that comes in just when you think the song is finally ending, the way everyone in the video is trying unnaturally hard to have fun, and most of all, the extremely basic lyrics, which include, yesterday was Thursday, Thursday, today it is Friday, Friday, tomorrow is Saturday, and Sunday comes afterwards. Well, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it you also had America singing that he was hot. Well, yes, I, I get And there were rocks that. and birds yeah. and Agreed. things. Agreed. So, yeah, yeah. But then you have the chorus. It's Friday, Friday. Got to get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. Weekend, Friday, Friday. Getting down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. Partying, partying, yeah. Partying, partying, yeah. Fun, 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 fun. But that's a, it's a 13-year-old girl singing. It, it so, is. I mean, to me, it is. Uh, that's it is. appropriate. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm kind of getting to a point where I'm, I'm really sympathetic to Rebecca Black. But the song is god-awful. I mean, it's just everything about it. Taken all together, it's mystifying. YouTube viewers couldn't tell if it was a joke or not. And for a while, it seemed like no one was going to see it. The video just sat on YouTube with a few thousand views and a few comments. It seemed like it was really going to be what it was intended to be, a learning experience that Black had in middle school. And then almost exactly a month after the video was posted, the comments started flooding in. First, a post appeared on the blog for the TV show Tosh.0. The post was titled, Songwriting Isn't For Everyone, and it embedded Friday, which it aggregated from a popular meme site called The Daily What. The song was also getting attention on Twitter, making the rounds with a viral tweet describing it as the worst music video ever made. Black was horrified by what she was seeing. She cried. She spoke with her mom, who got on the phone with Wilson and Ark Music. Now, Ark was willing to take the music video down and ask Black if that's what she wanted to do. Black actually said no thinking that if she did, she would be giving up what little power she had and the bullies would win. So the video was left online and Black became famous overnight. She would go on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. She would appear in a Katy Perry video. Friday would be performed on Glee. But if this sounds good, it, it wasn't. Because in 2011, we were pretty much nowhere when it comes to an awareness of online bullying. Uh, it gets better. The LGBTQ anti-bullying campaign had started some months before, but the general conversation around these issues was relatively rudimentary. The concerns that are so pervasive now just weren't then. And a 13-year-old girl was deemed fair game by everyone. So when Black went on Good Morning America, the interviewer, Andrea Canning, she read mean comments to Black's face, deliberately looking for a reaction. At one point, she asked Rebecca to recall the comment that hurt her the most, and Black tells her about a comment that read, I hope you cut yourself. I hope you get an eating disorder. Maybe then you'll look pretty. I hope you go cut yourself and die. Who, who writes that stuff? I don't know. But she did reveal it was written by an adult, which kind of tells you everything you need to know. Now, in interviews today, Black explains, 
I just remember this overwhelming feeling of, of just suck it up, smile, stay strong. Nobody can know that you're hurting, just laugh with them. And as soon as I started doing that, she said, people saw me as kind of in on it. And that at least felt better than feeling like the butt of the joke. All of the actual pain and embarrassment and shame that came with all of that just kind of got swept under the rug for a good few years. Kind of reminds me of Tommy Wiseau in the room, <laughs> oh, right? Oh, he was yeah. dead serious and then when it became kind of a joke and a, yeah. and a cult classic, now he kind of rolls with it as if he weren't on the joke right. from the very beginning. Oh, well, <laughs> I could spend hours talking about the room, but we're, we're talking music, not movies. Right, right, <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah, uh, but it, yeah, it's comparable, absolutely. Now, those years were difficult ones. There was a lot of opportunity, but a lot of isolation. Black's parents were there for her, but they were overwhelmed and confused as well. She started being homeschooled. The family's relationship with ARC Music quickly fell apart and lawsuits started flying. Black got a new agent and, and manager, and her first single after Friday did well enough, but the following ones petered out quickly. And in this period, she did release one song that charted. It peaked at number 55 on the Billboard Hot 100 in 2013. That song was titled Saturday. Are you serious? I'm serious. Never yes. heard of that one. Yep. So, yeah, I begin with Friday, which objectively, it very well may be the worst song ever recorded. But it's a very sad tale. It, it, it really, I mean, she was a 13-year-old girl, you know. And even for this episode, I don't want to come down too hard on it because she was a she was a 13 year old girl of course the song made sense to her and, and was you know something she could personally connect with so it, it makes sense but just the auto-tune alone I mean and, and the lyrics oh, well, good, it kind of God it kind of surprised me when you had this on the list okay because I, I I don't consider this one of the worst songs of all time you're kidding no in fact um, it, it, it may be in guilty pleasure territory for me wow okay knowing it is what it is now knowing that now that she didn't write the song I was in the assumption back then that this was kind of a like a, a home deal that she wrote this thing uh, and, like like a Debbie Gibson yeah, well but, but even like, like um, she wrote it and put it out on YouTube and then the comments, I didn't know, you know, someone else wrote it and there was a record company involved or a pseudo record company. But um, still, I'm going to admit this on the show, um, I, I downloaded it when it came out. I did. It was I, oh, I, I, it, it was a fun, catchy song. <laughs> no different than like a Mandy Moore or Britney Spears back then. Like, oh. now, now what? We were probably in our late 20s, early 30s, and maybe that was the last gasp of me trying to stay relevant with music or at least enjoying uh, music that was made now for a generation younger than me. Um, but Katy Perry, to me, I didn't see a, a whole lot of difference in the, the song themselves. Obviously, someone like Britney and, and Katy Perry's, they're in a whole different league, but... I don't know. I didn't didn't see it as being that horrible. Yes, it's bad. I mean, no doubt about that. But but it's but but I enjoyed it. Like I I thought it was it was fun. I don't know. Wow. Okay. I, I didn't hate it. Okay. That, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm in no way saying it's a it's a good song to, in, in terms of all the criteria we would normally judge by. But when it's a guilty pleasure, you don't have to defend. Oh yeah. No. I'm I'm. I, I just named some of my guilty pleasures yeah. earlier, and you did not want so to Rebecca, defend me. So, Rebecca, if you were listening, <laughs> so, uh, I, I'm, I'm defending you here. Yeah, no, and here's the honest truth. It's become kind of, it's reached cult status. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And there is a whole group of of millennials that, or, or and, and Gen Z as well, that love this song, you know? And it's become, and, and in fairness, when you listen to a lot of what's being released today, no longer sounds quite so terrible. Yeah, it's just, it's just a very immature pop song. Yeah. I, I think for me, it's the auto-tune. 
And trust me, believe by Cher. It was on, <laughs> it was on my list for a while too. We can blame her. She introduced Auto Tune to the world, but I think it's the Auto Tune, and I think just the I'm a lyrics guy. Sure. And I, the I, I, the entirety yeah. of the song, it's just. It, it, it's comprised of roughly no, 10 yeah, words no, yeah, that are yeah. just repeated. Not Shakespeare, no. no yeah. Doubt. So, whew. I just, yeah, and, and you know, part of me says, if, you, if you're, if you're going to put yourself out there, um, and, and especially if you're going to be a celebrity, uh, pop culture celebrity, you have to be willing to take the criticism. You have to have some thick skin. Yeah, yeah. But it's completely different if you're a 13-year-old girl and are not prepared for that. And like you said, this was the dawn of, of social media. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely feel for her. And, and not that I don't feel for even people that put themselves out there. I mean, even Taylor Swift, you can't be bigger than Taylor Swift. And I'm sure she reads comments that probably hurt. Oh, well, yeah. Um, you know, and that's just part of the, you know, part of the job. But um, no, for a 13-year-old girl with no experience in that, probably no one to coach her through that. Uh, I was hoping you would say she was so confident enough in her abilities um, that those comments didn't bother her. But. No, no, and she was, no. I, I don't think for a 13-year-old girl anybody can survive right. some of the, I mean, people were, they were just awful. And and, I, and and yeah, sure, maybe a lot of people downloaded it because of, of the hate and, and it was so bad, but I, I still like to think there were a lot of teenagers out there that just kind of enjoyed the song. Yeah, um, that could, they could relate to a very simplistic middle school message, well, right? Oh, absolutely, and, and that's what I said. I mean, the song begins by her talking about eating cereal, <laughs> right. getting on the bus, determining yeah. do I sit in the front or the back of the bus, and it's Friday, Friday, got to get down on Friday. I, 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 I get, I get it, but I it's, don't remember. I mean, perhaps I saw, I'm, I'm sure I read a news story about it or saw her on, on one of the you know, talking shows, shock shows that you mentioned, but. I maybe just it's one of those things where your expectations were so low and then when you actually heard the song you're like well that's not as bad as everyone's saying you know so maybe it was that maybe I was expecting mm. the room uh, music edition and you know I'm like yeah it's not that horrible so who knows mm. expectations well, okay. have a lot to do with it see I, I would say it, this is this is the room you know but regardless <laughs> without question but I, when I go see the room I'm entertained oh of course and and I leave the theater smiling and I think people can listen to this song, even though it's it's not great, and and and, and feel better. So you know, it is what no, it is. I agree. No, I, we will we will agree to disagree on the on the <laughs> quality of the song, but I don't disagree with what you're saying. Yeah, of course, right. I mean, you know, cult movies. I my God, I, I love them. And yes, there are songs, as I said at the beginning, that are objectively bad that I enjoy. This just is not not. Honestly, I, I always saw this song, I, I guess I still do, on, on the same part as, I forget the name, it was a Candy, I think Mandy Moore's first single, Candy. Uh, remember the video in TRL where she's driving a car and she wasn't even old enough to drive, but she's on the set pretending to drive. And I kind of saw those on the same plane. Now Mandy Moore, right, grew up, is now an actress that was on, what was that hit show that just went off the air, uh, one of, um, This Is Us. And I don't know if she's still performing or, or recording music, but um, I kind of thought Rebecca Black might, might do that, and mature into some more mature music well, and, and she, perhaps have a career. She has continued to put out music, yeah. and, and it's no longer auto-tuned. To my shame, I will admit I've not listened to anything other than this one song. So I am curious. I mean, at some point I will give give her a fair, you know, fair chance and then listen to see. I'm just curious what her voice actually yeah, sounds yeah, like, yeah. you know. Um, but... Yeah, no, it's just, I remember, uh, I, I remember just watching the video because I, Joel, 
you know, he was he was ten years old when it came out, but even he came home from school one day and said, "Dad, you got to see this. It is so bad." <laughs> and we sat down and we watched it. I, we watched it far more than we should have because we couldn't believe just how notoriously bad it, it was. So it was actually my ten year old that introduced it to me. Although I'm very proud of him, he never commented. And, you know, it, right. You know. He, Maybe that was the case. Again, I don't remember things very well. Maybe that was the case. Maybe it was so bad, but we downloaded it and and listened to it at first because it was so bad, and then it just became an earworm. Whatever, whatever. I I own a copy of it. So, <laughs> well, as a DJ, I do too. But it's not a you know. But it, I haven't listened to it since then. Like I didn't listen to it and prepare because I don't think was this on your original list. Did yeah. You, oh. Yeah. No. This. Well, one, somehow I, yeah. I I didn't listen to it again for the show. So. I might go back and, and be really embarrassed, um, but yeah, I just I just don't remember it being yeah. as horrible as people said it was. No, I will I will say every song on our lists combined, I own them all because as a DJ, you perform what others want to hear, not what you do. And whew. well, if I'm ever at a uh, function where you're DJing, you know what I'm going to request now. I do, and I'm going to make sure that it is spoken aloud, dedicated to you by request, yes. That's right. My next pick, you know, half the country loves this song, so, you know, you're not really taking a big risk by putting Rebecca Black out no, there. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to get hate mail for mine, so. You, you finished? I'm, I'm good. All right, here we go. I'm going with God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, though. I'm 100% with you. Just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who And so I, I, I need to explain this, of course. Oh, it's so pandering. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, originally, um, it came out in the early 80s. There were like three or four different versions of the song over the years. Um, I'm kind of sticking with the 1984 version from the album American Patriot because that's the version that I remember when, when, when it hit. <clears throat> so let's get this one out of the way here. <laughs> uh, also known as I'm Proud to Be an American, this song was originally recorded by country artist Lee Greenwood in 1984. The song was featured prominently during the Reagan campaign and later in the 1988 H.W. Bush campaign as well. In 1990, the song returned to the zeitgeist again during the Gulf War. Yeah. Um, that's not all. Then the song hit their airwaves again following 9-11. And then later on with the invasion of Iraq in 2003, that time the song went to number 16 on the Billboard charts. That was the highest position at the time. And then Greenwood recorded the song a third time two years later entitled it God Bless the USA 2003. 
I didn't know he's, that. He's he, the he's the George Lucas of, of yeah. yeah of music. I guess so. I, I didn't <laughs> know that good. he had re-recorded it. But oh. there's more. <laughs> oh boy! The song returned in 2016 when Donald Trump campaigned for president. Greenwood, a Trump supporter, performed the song live at several Trump rallies. In 2020, the song hit number one in digital downloads. Finally, four different music videos have been made throughout the years for this song. <sighs> now, clearly this song has an audience, um, but that, does, that audience does not include me, clearly. Um, on the rare occasion that this song enters my range of hearing, I will depart the vicinity in all haste, right? I really, really hate this song. In fact, I forced myself to listen to it once in preparation for this show so it was fresh in my mind. And man, that was tough to do. Now, I remember learning back when I was growing up that Woody Guthrie wrote the song, This Land Is Your Land. Yes. And I, I heard that he wrote it as an angry response to Kate Smith's God Bless America. And I was a little confused back then because I remember we learned both songs in elementary school. We, mm -hmm. we had to sing both of those. Yep. Um, but now I think I, I, I kind of get it. And I think this is something very similar. Um, I kind of get what, what Goody, Woody Guthrie was kind of thinking when he wrote his version uh, of a patriotic song. The melody of the song is fine. I mean, it's, it, it's not something that I particularly uh, would listen to, but it's fine. You know, it's big and powerful. And it's perfect for emotionally stirring the hearts of the listeners. Um, but that's also the problem with it. Uh, who am I to say what is art and what is propaganda? Okay, I'm not going to get into that. Um, but... Anything that kind of leads people to blindly follow their leaders and to not critically question, um, to me, is a problem, right? And, and the lyrics here do nothing to foster nuanced reflections about our country. Uh, they simply present the theme that America is great, and that's all that anyone needs to know. Yep. Now, I love my country very much. Uh, I feel I'm very, very patriotic. Um, I, I love our Constitution. I love how it's been revised over our history to make the vision of our forefathers available to all people, regardless of where they live, whom they love, what they believe, what they don't believe, or what they look like. We should celebrate this process, yes, but not canonize it. Uh, America should not be worshipped. It should be loved, but constantly challenged to become better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's the problem I, I have with it. So if you listen, if you go back and listen to God Bless America from Kate Smith, that's kind of the... Um, proud to be American of, of its day. And when Woody Guthrie wrote, this land is your land, this land is my land, and he describes um, all the different geographic climates in the country and how it belongs to you and me, it's a much more collective, communal idea of what America is. Well, and, and there are some verses in there people do not oh, know. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that are a couple very, that were left out. That are very angry, you know, about... Well, it was, you know, the yeah. communist scare and all that stuff. Absolutely, Which yeah. we still apparently haven't gotten rid of, but... Um, yeah, that's that's my complaint. It's just so over the top, and and people, you know, I've already gone too far <laughs> politically, but I, I hope you understand. That's 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 why I just cannot, I cannot stand this. Song. Yeah, oh, no, I'm I'm with you. To me, it just it's it's so pandering. You know, it's, yes, I um, and and you're not wrong. I mean, blind blind devotion to anything. Anything or anyone is a very dangerous yes. thing. I mean, you know, you you walk a fine line between patriotism and jingoism. Yep. And as you get closer to nationalism and this false belief that we are we are so egocentric. I mean, Americans unanimously believe that we are 
the most important nation in the world, that we are the greatest American nation in the world. American exceptionalism, which... It is, yeah. And you don't find that in other countries. I mean, it's very... And, and those that... I find it incredibly patriotic to question and to challenge to make your nation a better place, right. you know, the best That's why the, the best founders version wanted itself. us to revise the Constitution so exactly. they would keep up with the times. And I think the vitriol and the divisiveness, it it has it now reached a level where the the stalemate is, is going to really stop us from progressing in, in any way. I mean, it just, and both sides, you know, I, I do lean left, there's no question about that, but both sides... It, it has become such a game of tug of war. Nobody remembers how to compromise, how to come together, well, it's, how it's to become collaborate. a game of power, right? It, it is. It's a game of thrones. And, is and what for it all is. the talk of the originalists of what the Constitution intended, they missed the point that the Constitution structure a government in a way that would force compromise, right? Yeah. The three branches of government force compromise. You have to get together and take some of your idea and some of their idea and put it together and make it so that everybody can live with it. And that's what we've done for the most part in our country since its founding. Now, there, were, there was a rough patch in the 1860s uh, that we got through. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get back. And we just got back from D.C. with the kids. And we were watching the Capitol movie before our Capitol tour. Yeah. And they talked. The whole video was about how we're built on common ground. And I thought, wow, this is really outdated. <laughs> yeah, it is. But anyway, um, that you know, it's, it's fine. Again, people love this song. And if it makes them happy, who am I to say? But me personally... It's, it's, it's everything that's, that's dangerous. Um, you know, this idea that America is somehow better than all the other countries. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, we were the first to really hammer out a constitutional government and keep and make it last. And so, so in that case, we were exceptional. Um, and, and we've continued to right the wrongs of the past. But to look at Europe and to look at other places uh, in Asia and, and, and South America and to say that, you know, they're somehow less than we are. There are other constitutional democracies. You know, yeah. there are places with a higher and happier standard of living than we well, have. And we're not a democracy. Well, we're a republic. Not, yeah, we're yeah, d- democratic you know, republic. Democratic yes, republic, yes. But, you know, a lot of people, I feel, don't even know, you know, how the country right. works, right. Which, which is baffling to me. Um, but no, to me, the, the danger of this song, and yes, it, it's, I'm not a fan. I'm not. So I probably should have kept my mouth shut and let you receive all the hate mail. <laughs> now I'm going to get it too. But for me, I think the real danger lies in the idea of God blessing. the When, when you bring the religious aspect yes. into it. You, I you're, purposely stayed away from that, but since you're going to bring it well, up. Because I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. Yeah, but, but I mean, that's that's the whole essence of the yes. song. I, I, I remember Mark Twain's The War Prayer, mm-hmm. which is so, you know, it... it, it that if anybody has not read the war prayer that should open your eyes because the idea is we're praying to god to let us win so is the other side sure and you know this idea that god would smite one side i mean god would you know, I, I, I'm not overly religious, and, and I'm Jewish. But you are Jewish, and what's going on in the yeah. Middle East is a perfect example. Oh, it is. Of this, it's so. a perfect example. And Israel, let me tell you what. It, I mean, Israel has a right to exist, and they can defend themselves. But Israel are. Uh, yeah, we, we don't have time to get into yeah, this. Yeah, no, Net, we're not going to go I, that I, far down I'm the not road. A, I'm not a fan of Netanyahu. Right, I'll leave it right, at that. Right, right, right. So yeah, I, everybody I, should have a chance to exist peacefully. Right, and and that's the whole thing. You know, it's. Because, you know, on the flip side, I think of a song like Chicken Fried by Zach Brown, yeah. which has that, that verse, you know, that, that, go, that gets very patriotic. Mm-hmm. That doesn't bother me at all because it's not 
from a vantage point that says that we are better sure. than others. I sure. mean, it, it's just a it's just a proud moment where he he talks about you know giving thanks to those who have served, sure. which absolutely yeah. you know. Yeah. I, but it's yeah. No, I'm with you. It's I. I probably would not have been bold enough, brave enough to include it on my oh, list. Oh, I don't care. I know you don't. <laughs> I mean, it was either that or Christmas shoes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought about it. I did, but I wasn't going to do that to you. Because Christmas um, shoes would fall on this list, but I wasn't going to go there. Yeah. No, I just, to me, it's it's not a matter of, um, when I say I wasn't brave enough, I just don't want to, div- I don't want to divide our listeners, I guess. Sure, sure. You know? um, well, so, it's probably too late. Yeah. Over, over the last couple of years, uh, everyone knows where. Well, they do. Stuff. And I remember our 4th of July episode. Yeah. I mean, we made it very clear where where we lie on, on these issues. So it's, Which, you talk about both sides. I think both of us are pretty moderate when it comes down oh, to it. So. Without quote. My, my kids, especially Joel, I mean, he... Joel is, for all intents and purposes, a, a socialist at this point. I mean, socialist or democratic socialist? Uh, That's another thing. Well, Dem- democratic. Gosh darn it, I want political yeah. podcast. De- democratic <laughs> socialist, but I mean, he he looks at me and tells me that because I've always thought I lean left, you know, and he looks at me and says, "You are not a liberal." Well, and I'm no, like, "Well, then what the hell am I?" Apparently, <laughs> liberal is kind of a bad term to the far left. So the far this is what my daughter told me: the far left are progressives. Yeah. Uh, people like older people that are left to center are, are, are considered liberal. Yeah. But but to them, we are the first step in conservatism. Yeah. And it's just strange. And that's uh, Joel. Joel actually tells me you're you're a conservative, and I'm like, I've never been accused of that in my entire life. <laughs> right. You know. So yeah, it's it's great though. I, I'm glad every generation needs to you know explore and and. and make it their country in their way and so I'm glad to see that they're involved in the political yeah. process. And for those that have served, thank you for your oh, yeah, service. Of course. Absolutely. We, you know, I, we would not be here if it wasn't for oh, absolutely. people laying down their And I, I I you know, I I tip my hat and, and I will I will acknowledge, you know, how incredibly grateful I am to those that serve. I I think uh, you know, they should be absolutely, you know, honored and and you know, the utmost respect. It's not about the servicemen and sure. women. It's, it's and this song really is. It's been used to kind of yeah. you know support the troops, but really that's not. No, that's not the, the, song the point about. of the song. No, not at all. All right. Okay. Well, yeah. this one is going to be a lot less divisive. Okay. Um, <laughs> a lot less divisive, and and I don't even know how many people remember this song. Okay, but let me just begin by saying that Paul McCartney. Oh yeah, here we go. He was just twenty three <laughs> years old when he wrote Yesterday one of the most recorded songs of all time. He gave us Hey Jude, Eleanor Rigby, Let It Be, Band on the Run, Maybe I'm Amazed, and Venus and Mars. I I could spend an entire podcast praising this man's musical legacy. And without question, Macca wrote some of the, the greatest songs in music history. But he also wrote a few of the worst. And it is always so painful, always so painful, when one of my favorite artists missteps. Okay. Now, I have a long list of terrible songs by otherwise great artists. And real quick, I was really surprised to see on those lists so many people hating on Obla Di Obla Da. Yeah, that, that got me I know too. the rest of the Beatles didn't like it. I get that. Yeah. But it, it was surprising that that song is so hated out there. Yeah. And this isn't the Paul McCartney song that you chose. So. No, no, not at all. <laughs> but yeah, it, that kind of got me too. I'm thinking Revolution 9 is not on any of these lists, but you know, they're going to go after Obla Di. Yeah, that kind of... Surprise. In fact, the White Album, I can count a number of songs on the White <laughs> Album that I do not ever need to hear again. But Obla The White Obla Album, Obla the white album is 10 solid songs and a bunch of demos. Anyway, 
Boy, we're getting off topic. We are. Continue. That's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, um, but I do. I have this long list of terrible songs by otherwise great artists. I mean, even even our uncle is on it. I came very near including We, we Didn't Start, start the Fire for I, this episode. Just out of respect from Joel, I didn't, but yeah, yeah I, could, oh, I, I think so he close. would agree with us. Oh, he does. I mean, there, I, there are so many interviews where he talks about how terrible the song is. Do you ever hear him uh, uh, pluck it out on the piano? Yeah. <laughs> with one key. Yeah, yeah it's hilarious. Um, but... Yeah, McCartney, here's the thing. He features prominently on that list of terrible songs by otherwise great artists. I mean, I would be hard-pressed to name any legendary artist who has recorded as many stinkers. Mary Had a Little Lamb. Spies Like Us. Oh, yeah, Spies Like Us. Wow. Wonderful Christmas Time. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's oh, guilty pleasure. But yeah, It, no, it is, it is guilty pleasure, you, but only, it, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. There are so many, but the chief song the paramount, the, the prime example of what the hell you of the it? howlers <laughs> that he has created is temporary secretary. that has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. None. You know, it makes me wonder in a song like this, like, first of all, it had to be written, right? Right. Yeah. Then it had to be recorded. Yes. And I'm sure a lot of songs get to that point. Then a, a producer, right, had to mix it down, and then it was included on, on an LP. Mm -hmm. That's what really confuses me, is how did that song get through all of those levels and appear on a Paul McCartney I mean, I get you're experimental in the studio. That's great. But this one. Yeah, this is. Did he lose a bet? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I mean, well, in McCartney 2, you know, the album, yeah, McCartney yeah, yeah. 2, it is considered to be one of his weakest. I mean, yeah, the yeah, album's a mess. Yeah, it, it really is. They're, I mean, uh, anyway, okay. go ahead. <laughs> go on, go, anyway, getting back, yeah. Now, I mean, there is. There, there, I'm, I'm being completely honest, folks. There's no redeeming qualities whatsoever to this song. None. It's lyrically abysmal. It's thematically questionable. <laughs> and the instrumentation is as obnoxious. I, it, it's just this synth with offbeat drums that sounds like a dog stepped on a few random preloaded beats on a Casio it's a keyboard. That, yeah, I was going to say, it's a synth that you'd find on a, on a you know, $20 Casio uh, keyboard yeah, from Radio Shack. Exactly. I mean, this was the third single from the 1980 album McCartney 2. And... Uh, Temporary secretary, it doesn't even give you time to prepare for the auditory <laughs> onslaught. I mean, it immediately launches into this short synth bar, and it repeats it at a tempo that is headache-inducing. Seriously, it, it, it's akin to an alarm clock jarring you out of your deepest hangover, leaving you wildly slapping at the nightstand. I mean, it's... Then we, then we get that guitar riff, if you can call it that, and this blown-out drum sample, both playing basically at random, 
there isn't even a rhythm to potentially enjoy in this song. And, and somehow the song only gets worse. I mean, singing, <laughs> it does. I, oh, I, singing in an atrocious American accent. Why, Paul? Why? <laughs> I, McCartney sounds like he is plagued with the worst sinus infection of his life. And much like the beat itself, the notes of his vocals vary little. I mean, they, they repeat sooner and more often than they should. And what he sings is just creepy. He wants a temporary secretary who will be sweet and sit on his knee, and she can be a belly dancer, too. <laughs> Enough said, you know? It's, it's just... Please tell me you found some comment from McCartney <laughs> on the song as to why or what or I how. I looked. I looked, and I could find... I could find nothing. Okay, so now I know the very first question I'm going to ask if yes. I ever meet Sir Paul. I, I could find nothing. I mean, I assume that Paul's intent was to create something quirky. <laughs> but His but, own version of Revolution Number 9? Perhaps, yeah. But but the track, it's just bereft of charm. I mean, it it is undeniably and unforgettably brutal. At only three minutes and 13 seconds long, it feels like it lasts forever. Its pace and its torturous intonation are exhausting. I thought it was like seven minutes, honestly. Yeah, I did. no, it, it, it feels like it, but no, three minutes, 13 seconds. I mean, this track is grating. It's over the top. It's indefensible. I, we should just bury this thing in the desert. I mean, that, that's, that is temporary secretary. So Wow. Oh, it's <laughs> Got some big ones off the top here. Awful. Well, let's, let's keep going, right? How about uh, 1989's? Bat Dance from Prince. Again, terrible songs by otherwise great <laughs> performers. Yes. Oh, I got a live one here. Here is a song that, frankly, just did not work. In fact, a lot of what you said about Temporary Secretary could apply here. Um, and excuse my cat. <laughs> She's going to walk around here in the studio. She's nice. She's not going to okay. cause any issues here. No. All right. Let me just say, for the record, Prince is a musical genius. But geniuses can write a turd here and there. Um, what's worse, this turd went all the way to number one. Mm-hmm making it his fourth trip to the top of the charts. I, I can't help but think that the popularity of the film had something to do with the oh, success of the film. It had to. I mean, because everything was Batman. I mean, there hadn't been a Batman film since, what, the 1960s Batman Adam film? Adam West, yeah. With, with the TV characters. This was the first kind of resurgence of, you know, I guess we had the Christopher Reeves the Superman in, in the 80s, but this was comic books were coming back. Oh, it was, and, yeah. And, and, and you had Tim... Uh, Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Mm -hmm. And everybody was excited about this, and so... That's probably why the song was as successful as it was. Anyway, the song is mostly a dance number. But the whole thing is a kitchen sink mess, including parts of at least seven different songs 
several of them unreleased at the time that he managed to sample or somehow throw in. Uh, he also puts in sample dialogue from the movie to make it even more well, convoluted. And, and that's the worst part. It's This isn't a Prince song. This is a Tim Burton song. I yeah, mean, yeah. there are so many clips from the film that are spliced into this thing. He lets, he lets the dialogue of the film tell... To, you know, basically. Oh, needs an anima. Yeah, it, it's just. <laughs> I mean, Vale. Yeah, I don't. Oh, and then when it goes into the Joker's laugh, and it's just that repeat. Oh, go, I'm sorry. The only, no, no. Go on. The only redeeming value of this turd is, is Prince's guitar solo. Okay, I, I, that's great. And you know, I've always felt like Prince. Again, he's a genius, and I respect the fact that he's all over the place. Uh, often, uh, I know that there's a treasure trove in his vault that has yet to be released of stuff. Um, he was very prolific, um, but as a guitar player, you know, people don't think of him yeah. a, a, as the, as a, as the, the masterful guitarist that he was. Oh, yeah, because he was so eclectic. Uh, but this song—that's to me the high point, if there is a high point of the song. Um, I just think he should have leaned into that aspect of his performance a little bit more here. Then there's the video. <laughs> Which is a whole other mess that I won't even begin to try uh, to describe. Well, maybe a little bit. I was right? Yeah, I was wondering. Dancer, oh. Dancers and Batman leotards and Joker leotards. And they got this choreographed thing that looks like it's, yeah, like, like you know, a middle school musical. It's exactly, family what, night or something. exactly what it looks it's just, like. Yes. It's awful. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop because um, I'm just going to keep going on and on. I, I know there are some people out there um, that like this song because I, I looked it up and, and there are some people that defend this and there are some Prince fans that say it's one of his greatest works. But most of the Prince fans and most people say this this was a stinker oh, yeah. and um, he yeah. just you just didn't. In fact, um, he originally had a song for the movie and I, it, the name escapes me now because it was never officially released. It's been I think it's been leaked now. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but I, I guess it was a really good song. But Burton or the producers of the film just felt it was too dark, right? Because Tim Burton's Batman was, was a little campy on purpose. It was. Not yeah. like the 60s, but not nearly as dark as the Batman of today. And I think whatever he wrote probably would have fit more along the lines of, of, of what we have now with uh, Robert Pattinson, the darkest Batman movie ever. Um, so he went back and had to write something a little more upbeat, and so mm-hmm. in my mind, he was probably rushed and under pressure from the from the uh, film company to to put up something. Yeah, likely. Um, but here's the thing about Prince: Prince doesn't take crap from from anyone. I mean, he. Oh no, I don't think he. I think he felt like he did a good job. Oh, you think I just so? Don't think he. I, he he maybe maybe later on he didn't but I think at the time I don't think he would have released anything that he didn't well, think was good that, that's true as well um, yeah. but I think he was under a lot of pressure probably and and was caught up in the whole thing and I don't know I mean I, I went to number one who am I to say right yeah you know, well, well most of these songs on our list did which right. is unfortunate but yeah I, the thing about Prince I and mean, this is a man who who played twenty seven different instruments. and on a majority of his albums he's the only one performing he played all twenty seven instruments on his albums um, and the guitar solos he is he is one of the greatest guitarists of the rock era and most people do not know that but just listen I mean Purple Rain between Let's Go Crazy and Purple Rain yeah. the two songs together bookending the, the soundtrack the guitar work is just incredible right. you know and then I think of his performance for the, the rock, rock hall induction when he, did, uh, when he does uh, George Harrison uh, George Harrison's um, well, on the guitar gently weeps. yeah I, it's, I still would love to know where, where the hell that guitar landed when he throws it off the stage yeah. nobody seems to know but 
Yeah, no, Prince. And I love that because you can see the other performers on stage and they're, they're, they're you can tell their minds being yeah, blown. Yeah, oh, they're in awe. In real time. Yeah, even Clapton, he's watching and you just see him wide-eyed like... Like what's going on? Yeah, here? I mean, no one expects that from Prince, but they should. Yes. That's, that's the thing. Yes. And yeah, this song, it's just, it goes on forever. It's... There's there's no creativity. There's no to melody. It. There's no there's, there's nothing. No, I mean there's there's some pretty hefty bass. I mean I will give him some credit on the bass line of the song, but it's all the movie clips. I mean it just it's oh. like uh, um, Big Audio Dynamite. You remember the song? I, I think I introduced that on the ninety one episode. Yes. Yeah. Um, what's the name of the song? It escapes me now. But um, yeah, they're, they're they're big single ninety one, and that was again. I think it sampled like eight or nine different songs, and and I like the song, but it's very busy. Yeah, uh, this is a very busy song that I don't like. So I'm sure there are people out there for all these songs, but but this one in particular, if you're a Prince fan, um, go ahead, write in your hate mail. But you know, convince me I'm wrong. You know, convince me why I should like this song. Convince me why this is a masterpiece. Because to me, it's a big turn. I can't think of a single reason myself, <laughs> but. Okay, well, moving right along. Uh, my third selection for side A is by the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> I'm sorry. It is I titled, sound like I have a smoker's cop. I'm getting over a cold. <laughs> it is titled, My Humps. gonna do with all that junk all that junk inside your trunk i'ma get 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 you drunk get you love drunk off my hump 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 my lovely little lumps check it out i drive these brothers crazy i do it on the daily they treat me really nicely they buy me all these ices dolce and gabbana fendi and madonna karen they be sharing all their money to say exactly when we hit <laughs> peak Fergie, okay? Peak Fergie. What, was it when Is her, there a peak Fergie? No, no. What, sorry. Maybe, I, was it when her lyrics included spelling out tasty? I'm sure it wasn't the national anthem. By, anyway, go by ahead. By misspelling it, <laughs> T to the A to the S-T-E-Y. Um, was it her, her modern twist on London Bridge, turning it into a sexual metaphor for oral sex? What about her lack of grammar? Oh, well, uh, oh, was that on your list? Oh, like, big let me girl step aside. Yeah, yeah. Big girl. Oh, yeah. That it's just one line, and it has always irked me. Oh, in me that, too. In that damn song, we're English yeah, teachers. We are. For my money, it is my humps. Okay, it is a track named "Worst Song of All Time" by The Guardian, The AV Club, Consequence of Sound, Stereophile, Buzzfeed, and Rolling Stone readers. 
It was bad enough, and but then you get to the part about what about those breasts underneath oh, the dress, oh, yeah, and that's yeah. just when. Oh, it, all right, I'm all just right. getting started. Okay. Yeah, all right. So, <laughs> it, it's hard to imagine today, but the Black Eyed Peas were once respected hip hop artists and critical darlings. Were they? Yeah, I guess they, they were. were. They yeah. were. Yeah, I guess so. Then they added Fergie. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Before the Fergie, yeah, definitely yeah. they were. Definitely. And, and suddenly they were wearing these bizarre futuristic clothes and they attained massive radio play with party hardy songs like let's get retarded and i got <laughs> a feeling well. <laughs> yeah but but nothing they've done before or since can match my humps it is the lowest common denominator idiocy or or mindless robotic commercialism that has ever been recorded this has got to be the least sexy song ever written Okay, with Fergie in an asinine call and response with Will I Am, referring to her butt as her hump, and <laughs> and her lovely lady, lady lump. Lumps. Now, <laughs> now, now, Fergie later complicates things by also using humps and lumps to refer to her breasts. We're talking about a camel. So, we have the hump, the lump, the humps, and the lumps. Ooh, a double meaning, right? Now, the only thing more embarrassing than Fergie's singing with her ritual invocations of her favorite brands is, is Will I Am's rapping. Yeah. Which includes such enticing come-ons in this song as his offer to mix your milk with my Cocoa Puffs. Oh, jeez. Milky, milky Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> <laughs> the music video, it features, surprise, lots of loving close-ups of Fergie's lovely, lovely lady Her lumps or her humps or both? Uh, okay. Both, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> my, my humps came in third place on the best-selling singles of the 2000s. Wow. It also won the Village Voices playoff-style bracket for worst lyrics of the decade. Yeah. Now, my hump, my hump, my hump, my hump, my hump, my hump, my lovely lady lumps, <laughs> among other offenders. When you had to repeat the same word six times in order to fill a beat, maybe you should try investing in a thesaurus, okay? Right. Now... As a piece of music, My Humps is a stunning assemblage of awful ideas. The song's playful pogo and coke-thin ringtone synth line kind of, it, it samples sexual harassment's 1982 left-field electro hit, I Need a Freak. But where the original trafficked in something icky, sinister, and darkly sexual, the P's call-and-response courtship feels to titillate. It, it, in fact, it's, it's enough to convince one to never, ever ogle again. The humps in question belong to Fergie, who brandishes her lovely lady lumps for the purpose of procuring various gifts from men, who one would assume find the prospect of lumps very exciting. One lump beginning another lump, if you will. This is beginning to sound like Dr. Seuss. It, 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 have you heard the song? <laughs> now, what, I, what are you going to do with all that ass, all that ass inside them jeans? <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do with all that breast? All that breast, singular, I might add. I All that breast inside, inside that, that shirt. Oh, that the, oh, shirts? Not even dress? It's not even dress. It's shirt. <laughs> yeah, there's no rhyme. No. Rapper Will I Am teases in response. Okay, rendering literal what had therefore uh, heretofore been been pretty much literal. It, it, it's a song that tries to evoke a coquettish nudge and wink, but headbutts and bloodies the target instead. It, it, it isolates sectors of the female anatomy that obsessive young men have been inventing language for since their uh. skulls fused. And yet, it emerges only with humps and lumps. <laughs> at least milkshake. I mean, Kellis at least made it sound delicious, you know? Now, now, who else remembers the word hump as it applied to the female body? 
okay, when it only called up images of old Crohn's with osteoporosis. Right, right, right. And lumps, lumps in reference to breasts tumors. made, you know, the general public think of self-exam cards right. and mastectomies. Right. I, you know, my humps, <laughs> this song, is one of the most popular hit singles in history. It hit number three. It also is proof that a song can be so bad that it can literally become evil. I mean, it, it's, it's not awesomely bad. It's horrifically bad. And the P's received no bonus points here for a noble missing of the mark or misguided ambition. My humps reminds us that categories such as good and bad still matter. Yeah. And there, there are bad songs that offend our sensibilities but can still be enjoyed. And then there are the songs that are just really bad, transcendentally bad, objectively bad, and they're still better than my humps. So there's my number three, and I don't think I can ever say the word hump or lump again. Yeah. Ever. I mean, I feel like I've just... I, I do have a request. Oh, man. Or if, if we have a listener out there that is somewhat artistically inclined, uh, <clears throat> I would love a parody Dr. Seuss. <laughs> a couple panels, you know, not the whole book, but just a couple panels of how this song would look if it were a Dr. Seuss book. Yes. Because yes, I think yes. you could have some fun with that. You could. Um, <laughs> and uh, that would actually be fun to read. <laughs> it, it would be fun to read, but I, wow, oh, that's this song. Wow. Oh my God. Okay. This is, this episode's been a doozy. <laughs> All right. Well, um, here's one of the grossest songs ever that I want to take a shower every time I hear it. Um, another song that went to number one. Uh, it may have been the best selling single of 1977. And I'm referring to uh, Rod Stewart's Tonight's the Night. Okay, so I get that Rod Stewart earned some classic rock cred in the last few stages, I'm sorry, the early stages of his career. But by the second half of the 70s, he began to kind of record some, some really awful stuff. He did. And, and this one, it's just so, oh, it's so rapey. It's, it's just bad. But I'll be honest, it's not the one I would have chosen. You would have chosen. Do you, do you think, think I'm, I'm sexy? sexy? Yeah, that's, well, that that's the way I would have gone. That one's really cringe. It is, yeah. Uh, I chose this one just because it's... Oh, I well. get it. Yeah, no, I totally get it. So this is my third choice um, in the episode so far. Um, and by the way, all of them I've talked about now have gone to number one. Um, 
people really liked this song. In fact, it stayed number one for eight weeks in America, which was the longest run at number one since Hey Jude in 1968. Yes, I just put Hey Jude and Tonight's Night in the same sentence. It was the best-selling single, like I said, of 1977. Tonight's Night isn't necessarily a crime musically, okay? We, we could talk about musically, um, but lyrically, this is an abomination. Yeah. Uh, some creepy older man, this is how I see this song, tell me if I'm wrong, some creepy older man is doing all he can to take some young girl's virginity. Mm-hmm. In doing so, he sings lines like, quote, uh, loosen off that pretty French gown, let me pour you a long good drink. And then, uh, don't say a word, my virgin child, the secret is about to unfold. I just want to take a shower saying this. And then, there's, there's the best, worst, Come on, angel, my heart's on fire. Don't deny your man's desire. Spread your wings and let me come inside. Yeah. So I understand, okay, that child is probably, at least I hope so, used loosely here, right? Meaning a very young woman, not a young teenager. I'm going to try to give him the benefit of the doubt here. You know, there are so many songs about I know. underage, I, from my Sharona to, I, there are so many. It's... I, yeah, I, I just I found know. out, this is know. part two, but I just found out Don Johnson, there, you know, there's a little spoiler for you. Don Johnson moved in with Melanie Griffith when she was 15 years old. Oh, yeah. And he yeah, was I, like 26. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. Anyway, going back here. So, yeah, maybe, well, if he did, that's really bad. But I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's using child in a, in a loose way here. Um, but regardless, there is clearly a power dynamic here, mm-hmm. right? Um, if that dynamic simply is a much more experienced man sweet-talking a very inexperienced, naive young woman with alcohol, mind you, and then discouraging her from protesting verbally, right? Don't say a word. Um, And instructing her not to deny his desire. Yeah. And, you know, people still, I still hear the people that complain about baby, it's cold outside. For for a lot of the same reasons you're naming. It's not as bad as this. No, well, and and it's, it's taken from a different... Time yes. no, and I it's it's playful banter between sure. the the two. I, I see that side know. of it definitely. Yeah, I mean, it you know, it was just she she wants to stay, but she's trying to. They're to, playing a little yeah, cat and mouse exactly. game. Exactly, that's fine. But, but this, no. but people go after baby. It's cold outside, and a song like this, I've never heard anyone. Well, because it doesn't come up every year and well, played in department true, stores. True, and, but but I mean, this song is just as I said, it's just it's it's. I mean, because, you know, my wife and I listen to a lot of what's now referred to as Jet Rock or, or, you know, Mellow Gold, 70s Gold, whatever. I mean, that just, in fact, there's a great, uh, I think it's a three-part documentary on Hulu um, called Sometimes When We Touch, based on the Dan Hill song. Oh. And the whole thing, the first episode is about um, yacht rock and, and what it really means. And it's not really music to be played on a yacht. Right. It's just really polished, high caliber music. There's a lot that goes into it. It's it's very complex. Um, and then the second part is how yacht rock became ridiculed for so long. And then the third part is about how it's made a comeback. And a lot of the indie artists today borrow heavily oh. and, and, and love a oh, lot yeah. of that music. It's a really interesting uh, yeah, story. Yeah, they definitely do. So we hear this song, Come On, satellite radio sometimes um and it's just it's one we can't we just got to turn we have to turn we have to go to the 80s channel or to the bridge which is another good one and come back later because i just can't stomach it i mean he's already kind of gross probably with the (laughs) do you think i'm sexy that video that's the thing um his whoever worked with him uh, they they made videos before mtv so there was a video for this song in 1977 Mm -hmm. i've seen it uh and it's it's just as bad as you can possibly imagine when this is not the only song where he is 
engaging with a younger sure. girl. I mean, Hot Legs is yeah, another yeah. one. And in that one, he, he squarely puts the blame on her because she comes to his door and demands, right. Right. you know, whatever. But it's, yeah. And Rugs then there's a the part at the end, the, 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 the young girl, I forget the, I think it was an actress that recorded it, the, um, um, the, the French portion uh, oh, at the very end yeah, of the song. Right. And again, it's it's... I don't understand French, but you can tell this is this is a girl that's very confused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sorry if confusion is on uh, the other person's mind. That's probably not the time um, to, to do anything. Um, it's Agreed. Just, it's just, and, and I know people out there saying, "Well, it was the time." I suppose this wouldn't have been as shocking to us back then. I hope it. I hope it would be because we weren't. You know, if we heard this song in '77, everything would have gone over our heads, right? Right. I'd like to think that it would have bothered me as much back then. But I guess I feel fortunate now that we live in a culture that recognizes a lot of these power imbalances, right? Because um, how many times did you hear stories of, like, you know, this coach and this cheerleader, and then they get married? To, and it's like, you know, e- even if they're of age, there's a power imbalance there, you mm-hmm. know? And, and someone that's older and experienced, it just really bothers me going after young and experienced women. Right. Well, I, you know, Rod Stewart... I, it, I just I can't help but think in my mind if if he's writing songs about it, think about all the girls he took home after. Well, the shows. yeah, I try not to think. You know, about it's that. it's yeah, but he's not alone. I mean, that everyone from Bowie to Jagger has you know gone that right. It's it is a stain on a hell of a lot of very impressive musical careers. Yeah, it, it just yeah. you know, and it's it's something that took far too long for people to you know verbally object to I mean you don't find it in in songs today but yeah it's it's pretty you you look at the classic rock canon it's kind of all over the place I feel like um, you know they talk about the 60s and the sexual revolution right um, people began to open up sexually um, be more um, open about their sexuality um, of course the pill and other birth control helped that along and you do start to see in the in the mid 70s um, I think I read a term for it this week. I forget what they called it. It's it's not sexploitation, but it's something like that. Um, a, a subgenre of, of this time period in rock and roll, where it's just songs about sex. You oh, know, yeah. yeah. Not we, obviously we have songs about sex now, but it was almost I don't know. It was just in a weird like afternoon delight and yeah. and and like when they, and they were all I mean, very different from today's music. Right. I mean, they were all nuanced and they were all. Here's the thing: they tried to be subtle, but there was right. no, but there was no subtlety in what right. they were doing. You know, right. it, that that to me is just the funniest. I mean, part you're my complaining. We have you know a WAP. Oh yeah, <laughs> was a hit a couple years yeah. ago. So clearly, it's still part of. of oh yeah, that. but at least in, in that sense, you could make an argument for female empowerment. Well, yeah, um, she, with that song. Yeah, you can. Um, yeah, not a fan, but I can tell you, of all the weddings I DJed this summer, yeah. that song. And not its clean version was requested time and again by brides themselves. I mean, so so you give them a choice, like like if they ask for that song, do you say you want the clean version, right? And they tell you no. Well, basically, it, on on my online planner that I give oh, to I brides, yeah, yeah. It, it says one of the questions is, um, are you okay with um, you know radio edits, or do you want the album cuts? In other kids words, come to weddings. So do grandparents. Well, that's but, true. <laughs> but it's, but yeah, some people. They, they I just, can't imagine anyone playing the un, unfiltered song at a wedding yep, reception. Happens all the time. Wow. I mean, I shouldn't say all the time. Most couples would absolutely be horrified. They want the clean versions sure. of songs. But no, I mean, like, as here's the thing: as it gets later in the evening, and grandma and grandpa have left 
Uh, because okay. it's past the their kids bedtime. Are gone to bed. okay. The young okay. fam, the I young families are gone because it's ten o'clock time for the kids. I can see that. Yeah. yeah, that's when they start to surface. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. No, no one's playing WAP during dinner. You know, <laughs> but, it's, but you know, later in the evening when when your older guests and the younger families have left. Oh yeah, weddings. A lot of weddings start getting really, really filthy, and and I'm not a prude by any stretch. I have no problem. Oh, not either. But I have no problem playing it, you know, at all. But put it this way: I, I, there are certain things I will listen to, but if I'm in the presence of a child or right. someone older, or even someone my own age, but that I know just that's not their thing, I'm yeah. going to be polite and not play it in front of yeah. them. Yeah, no, it, it comes out li- most of the time. Now there are the occasional weddings where they just want to hear what they want to hear, and you know they don't don't really care who else is in attendance but those are few and far between so and and there are more than half the weddings that would never allow music like that to be played so it's it's well hold that thought because after your take i have a lot of questions about wedding with my next song but go ahead it's your turn okay (laughs) well uh let me just preface by saying novelty songs are a chancy proposition for an episode such as this okay because many novelties are awful by design in their attempts to capitalize on, on a fad or to burrow themselves into the minds of their listeners by any means necessary, it's, it's kind of hard to justify trashing something that has merely achieved its reason for being. But when a novelty song breaks through from curiosity to mass appeal smash, we can treat it like any other hit record. And therefore, let me say without fear of contradiction that Disco Duck by Rick Dees is one of the world's worst songs. was a morning radio jock in Memphis when he made this record. It began climbing the charts slowly in August of 76, eventually reaching number one on the Hot 100 for the week of October 16th. Although it stayed at the summit for only one week, it spent the next four weeks at number two, and a total of 10 weeks among the nation's top 10 singles. It was also featured in the hit 1977 film Saturday Night Fever, though the movie executives were wise enough to omit it from the movie soundtrack. Nonetheless, the single sold over 6 million copies. This single became the first platinum certification ever awarded. Really? Really. 
You heard that right, folks. The first single in popular music to be certified platinum was, was Disco, Disco Duck, Duck by Rick Dees and yes. his cast of idiots. Even more baffling is how Dees won a People's Choice Award for this song. It is just a horrible, horrible song. It went to number one. It went to number Obviously, one. Obviously, clearly, yeah. if it went platinum, but still. Now, all of this happened without the participation of Memphis radio stations. Or Disney, I'm going to guess. Well, yeah, I'm okay. going to get there. <laughs> um, claiming by some logic that it would represent a conflict of interest, D's own station would not play it. Hmm. Neither would other stations in the city for fear of promoting the competition. So in Memphis, this song didn't exist as it did everywhere else in the world. After Dees mentioned the song on his radio show, and he only mentioned it in passing, he was immediately fired. Really? Yeah. Although he was quickly scooped up by another station in town, and that station's corporate owner eventually moved him to L.A., where he's been ever since. I, I, mean, I remember hearing yeah. him when I was a kid. Right. Now, now Memphis was a hotbed of mid-'70s disco and had a rich funk and dance novelty history. And as a Memphis DJ, Dees had played more than his share of disco hits. No one can fault Dees for wanting to parody the genre, okay? In itself, a parody was not a bad idea. But getting his buddy that he met at the gym, Ken Pruitt, to make like Donald Duck was, okay? It took three months for them to even find anyone willing to record this song. And reviled as it became, the song made Dees' career and it made him a fortune. Even worse, he followed this song up. His next song was a flop titled... Discorilla. Discorilla. Wow. Yeah. It was about a, a dancing gorilla. Is it also a parody of Macho Man or is it just really similar in my ears? Um I don't know. Anyway, I just No, it's not it's not no. In fact, I'm not sure that Macho Man may have come after actually. Oh, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure about that. Okay. But, anyway. but here's the thing. Disco Duck routinely makes the list of not only the worst disco songs and the worst songs of the seventies, it features prominently on every worst songs list. Made, I mean that this is one of maybe four or five songs that I saw on every list that that I found online. It, it, it kind of wasn't in my. I, I haven't heard it since I was a kid, so well, I didn't even think about. Yeah, it. Yeah, well, if if you look online, and this is not an exaggeration. It is Disco Duck is named as one of, if not the worst song in history of popular music, and there are good reasons for that. Okay, first, I'm going to be objective here. First, Disco Duck can't compare with the actual disco songs of the era. It lacks the rhythmic pulse that makes people want to get up and dance. If you're going to parody disco, at least make it fun. Create a disco song, yeah. and this is—it's—it's it's just not. Second, D's cannot sing <laughs> I mean, at, at all. I, but most of all, here's the problem. Okay, this is why I, I felt I—I was—it was—it was perfectly fair, and it was game to include it. Most of all, Disco Duck does not even work as a novelty track. It doesn't work as a joke because the song is just not funny. Was the whole angle the fact that somebody was talking like Donald Duck and that was... The, that, that's it. Basically yeah. a one-trick poem. Yes, that's it. It's not even particularly clever. I mean, it doesn't work as a joke. It's not clever. It, it's just this guy singing about turning into a duck <laughs> and then another guy who can do a duck voice speaking in a duck voice. Do you think George Lucas was inspired by this and when he made Howard the Duck? Oh, I have no idea. Um... <laughs> But, but, I mean, here, here are the lyrics. All of a sudden, I began to change. I was on the dance floor acting strange. Quack, quack. Flapping my army. I began to cluck. And it is army. That's, that's his word for flapping his arms. Flapping my army. I began to cluck. Quack, quack. Ducks don't cluck. Chickens cluck. But, but um, that's... Really? It says cluck? It yeah, it says... Quack? No. I began to cluck because he needs to rhyme. 
Look oh, at me, yeah. I'm the disco duck. I mean, that's that's it. Okay. That is the entire song. The only one laughing is Rick Dees. And it is really, if you go back... And but yet it was the best-selling one platinum. It so was the was first it? song in history Other to go platinum. Other people apparently were laughing or yeah, they wouldn't bought it. But, but, I mean, if you listen to this song, I don't know when the last time was that you've heard this. It, when I was a kid. It, it is not, it's not funny. And that, see, that's, that is like the ultimate crime. If you're going to create a novelty tune... It had better. It it had better be funny. I mean that that's the whole point. Sure, you know, sure. this is just it's just oh it's just nauseating and it's there's no it's it's it is the one trick pony and here's the thing that I I looked everywhere I was trying to find Disney's reaction to mm. the song because the guy is clearly impersonating I mean, Donald but it's under parody so I'm it, sure they're fine is. legally it is, yeah legally yes but I couldn't find anything. Huh. And I, it's it's very clearly a Donald. They reference. weren't as possessive about their property back then. Uh, probably, probably well, <laughs> maybe I don't know. I'm, who knows? Um, they didn't have DeSantis trying to take it away either. Sure. So, but um, yeah, I, I just really the song is just it's just awful, and it's it is. It's like you said, a one trick pony. Dee's is the worst singer I think I've ever heard. And the music is bland. I mean, it's so vanilla. And, and you just have a guy si- speaking in a duck. I mean, he's, he's not even singing. He's speaking in a duck voice. All right, you're on Desert Island. You oh. have to pick between Rebecca Black and Rick Dees. Which one do you choose? Rebecca Black. Really? Okay. Yes, right, I go. go Rebecca Black. <laughs> that is how much I hate this song. Yes. Your turn. All right. <laughs> As promised, we get back to the wedding talk here. Ah. As a wedding DJ... I feel for you having to play this next number every weekend. I am referring to the Cha-Cha Slide by DJ Casper from 2000. This is something new, the Casper Slide Part 2, featuring the Platinum Band. And this time, we're going to get funky. 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 Everybody clap your hands. Clap, 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 clap your hands. Clap, 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 clap your hands. All right, now, we're going to do the basic step to the left. Take it back now, y'all. One hop this time. Right foot, left stump. Left foot, left stump. Cha-cha, real smooth. Turn it out. To the left. Take it back now, y'all. One hop this time. Right foot, left stump. Left foot, left stump. Cha-cha now, y'all. Now it's time to get funky. To the right now. To the left. Take it back now, y'all. One hop this time. One hop this time. Right foot, two stumps. Left foot, two stumps. Slide to the left. Slide to the right. Crisscross. Crisscross. Cha-cha real smooth. This one did not go to number one. It's one of the few that I have that didn't. Didn't even hit the top 40. But thanks to the line dancing craze of the last generation, this song refuses to die. Hmm. And from what you tell me, the line dancing craze is still oh. very much a thing. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Well, that's all right. No, I, 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 the song, this does not surprise me, was originally written for a fitness routine. Yeah. Complete with spoken instructions on where, when, and how to move. Uh, the song in its final form was distributed to clubs with an accompanying instruction video. So at some point, they felt like, hey, this has some crossover appeal. Radio refused to play it at first. 
but once it caught on its social functions, many urban stations added it to their rotation. Now, as a DJ, you've explained to me in the past that line dancing is really kind of a party saver, right? As many more people are willing to participate on the dance floor with a large group of people moving in the same way. Yeah. Well, I get that. Yeah. I, the conformity is, is what... Here's the thing. There are people, in fact, there are a lot of people, more than half of any any group at, at a wedding, about half of the wedding guests, they will only dance to line dances. Right, right. And the reason being, they're very self-conscious. Mm-hmm. They, they're embarrassed. They don't think they can dance. Which they probably... Which they, they can't. <laughs> yeah, they probably yeah, can't. I, I include myself. And yeah, me as well. But there's comfort in a line dance because you're surrounded by people who are doing the same thing. Yep. And you are just as good or just as bad as everybody around you. And you know you're not being judged. Sure. And beyond that, you know, songs, some of them, this one included, actually tell you what to do. What to do, yeah. So, yeah, it's... Now, I remember when, when Gail and I got married, we, we told our DJ, no line dances. We, we don't dance... To them. I am... I, I kind of I, I kind of straddle the fence. I hate line dances. Mm-hmm. I hate them, and I will never line dance. I my life could depend on it, and I would lie down mercifully and just close my eyes because I am <laughs> never going to um, ever going to line dance. But as a DJ, they are your best friend because they will fill the dance floor every single time. And I get that, but that doesn't mean I have to like it. No, 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 no. And it's it, it's not a song that, I mean, it's clearly, especially Cha Cha Slide, I mean, Cupid Shuffle, I mean, you can say there's some merit to it. It's actually, it's it's got a melody. It's actually Personal soulful. Jesus was almost ruined for me by Depeche Mode because of the line dancing grace. Yeah, um, yeah line dancing, it's, it's, it's not gone away. It's never going to go away. Um, and, and in fact, on, on side two, I'm, I'm going to talk about line dancing on my end. All right. Um, but yeah, the cha-cha slide, you know, it's, I'm not a fan of line dances as a listener ever. Um, but as a DJ, the only other thing that is guaranteed to bring people to the dance floor is Motown. Hmm, interesting. Motown, I don't know what it is about Motown. Well, well, Motown's great. I know what it is. I love Motown. Right. But, but but Motown will bring them to the dance floor, so will line dances. Those are the two areas that when, when the, the floor just, Vanishes, you play play those and they're right well, back. And let me be clear too. I'm not I'm not pronouncing this song guilty simply because it's associated with line dancing. Okay, like I mentioned, "Personal Jesus" by Depeche Mode is a song that I like. Um, even the electric slide, which uh, I'm not a I don't that's not my style of music, but as as a song, <clears throat> it, it's fine. I well, mean, it's, a, it's a disco tune. Yeah, there's yeah. There's, 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 a, there's a lot going on there. Um, but this song, there's really nothing here. No, it's just, it's just. Uh, it sounds like what it was intended to be, some aerobic workout routine. Yeah. It's unimaginative, it's boring, it's forgetful, and like my other choices, I'm apparently a minority <laughs> in this. But I will say, despite my feelings about the song, I have to respect DJ Casper's effort in promoting the song, right? Um, even selling CDs from the trunk of his car outside of Bally's in Chicago, because Bally's in Chicago started playing this mm-hmm. for actual uh, exercise classes. And he yeah. was smart enough when people would exit after having exercised to a song, then he would sell his CD out of the trunk of his car. I love that. You know I love when you mm-hmm. know a story like that, when, when oh, people yeah. are able to climb without the help of, of the normal powers that the people you know use or abuse. And 
Unfortunately, DJ Casper passed away this summer from cancer. Yeah, he did. At age age 58. So, again, I'm not faulting him for this. It was a it works great as an aerobics routine. It just bothers me that this of all the songs in the world, this is one that people will always remember because of parties and and, and yeah. dances. Yeah. Well, and the uh, the song and this isn't the only one. There are phys ed course there are phys ed classes in junior highs middle schools elementary schools all over the nation they have line dancing week mm-hmm. i mean i remember you know i was on the we had square dancing <laughs> yeah I, well that yeah we did um but but no the line dancing i mean at, at my school yeah they there there's a week where you just hear dj casper coming out from the the gymnasium because they're they're having the kids do it as you know, as as exercise, um, and that was true at, at the district I had at previously as well. I'm I'm assuming it happens, you know, fairly, pretty much everywhere. But what I, what I do think is interesting is every genre kind of has its own line dancing, right? Oh yeah. So you have the boot scoot and boogie from with the country fans among others, right? Personal Jesus, which is more of an alternative, and then you know, obviously urban music with the cha cha slide and cupid shuffle and electric slide. So um, it's not it's not a country thing or a you know, hip hop thing. Yeah. It, it, it's a lot of things. Well, and you know, participation songs. I mean, they they predate line dancing. I mean, YMCA. Yeah. You know. Right. Um, the, the, yeah, participation songs are really. Uh, there's just a communal. Sure. There's a spiritual element to it where everybody becomes unified. Yeah. In a, in a world where I want more of that, I should probably quit yeah. complaining. And and it transcends ages. It, mm, yeah. It, uh, line dances are one of those rare moments at a wedding where. You have seventy-year-olds coming to the dance floor. You got ten-year-olds coming to the dance floor, and everything in between. And it, you don't see that with most. I mean, I, I try to really emphasize to my couples that you know you have you know, everybody at your wedding is not twenty years old. That you know you can't. If, if clubbing is what you want, you don't want <laughs> you don't want complete versions of songs, and you want mish, you want mashups and the like. I mean. I can do that, but I don't. I, I refer them to other DJs who will. Well, yeah, that, that, there are two different types of DJs. Right, actually, yeah. three. Radio DJ, what you do. Right. And then the, the DJ that actually makes yeah. new music based on Exactly. Sound. And, you know, I, that's not my speed. I, I, I can do it. I, I know how to do it, but I, I just, I don't. And right. it's one of those that I, I'm more than happy to refer them to DJs within their budget who will. Um, but what I try to remind them is that grandma and grandpa are there. Mm-hmm. They're waiting to dance. And chances are very good they want unchained melody. You know, it's you you your wedding day belongs to you. It's uniquely you, and everyone is there to support you. That it's the one moment in time where you and your spouse you get to dictate everything. I mean, what you want is what I what I give you. You're not. You shouldn't be overly concerned about you know catering to your guests. They're there to cater to you. But you want them to have a good time. But you want them to have a good time. Exactly. I mean, they're there. And like there are some DJs, they will not play slow songs at a wedding. They just won't do it. After you get past the formalities, the right, first right, dance, right. mother, son, father, daughter, that there's not another slow dance for the rest of the night. I throw in a couple every hour. Uh, I, I kind of the music that I choose it, it kind of goes in waves. It, it it the energy peaks and then I bring it back down and then it peaks again. It's 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 a flow thing. And I'm it, sure you yeah. have to respond in real time you, too. You do. On and, the audience. and a lot of it is reading the room and figuring out. Yeah. You know, but. But yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like a funeral, right? Because a funeral is really for the people that are coming to grieve. Absolutely, yeah. It's not about the person. Obviously, they're not in, not there to enjoy it. Right. So. Yeah. So no, I am. Um, I'm with you. I am not a fan of line dances, but 
for what I do, I'm a huge fan of Lyme Which is cancers. why I go back to my initial statement. Uh, I feel bad that you have to. <laughs> I mean, it's your job. I get it. And I'm sure some of it's a lot of fun. But yeah. uh, wow. well, and, and there are so many. I and mean, there are Lyme dances you don't even know. Oh, Trust sure. me. Right? I, and, and I don't the, need to know that. No, you don't. <laughs> right? But the one-two step and the the, well, the wobble now is the huge one. Oh, the one, wobble. You know? um, but, that was an old one. Does it come back? Oh, it's never went away. The oh. Macarena has not went away. Macarena. Which, side two, folks, there's a spoiler coming from me. But um, and there's so many. It's it's you got the Cleveland Shuffle. The Cleveland Shuffle is hilarious. I haven't heard that one. Okay, this is by, a, it, first of all, the, it samples Billie Jean, okay? And it it's actually by the, uh, oh, what are they called? The I-70, I-71 boys? I, I'm trying to think off, I, I'm, I'm losing it off, off the top of my head. But the Cleveland Shuffle, every, there are so many weddings that request it, and there are no, not once have I DJ'd a wedding where it was requested and I played it and anybody knew how to do it. Interesting. I, I don't know how to do it because I've never seen anyone do it correctly. Yeah, yeah. It's like you, you always have that one person who wants to hear it and then I play it and everyone just stands around dumbfounded. They have no idea what it is. <laughs> well, I mean, that I'm, person should instruct everybody. They, they should, but that person doesn't know how to do it. I, I, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious to me. I mean, you would think like, like the time warp would be you know very that's a, hit or, that's hit or a miss. Line dance yeah. get it'd be very hit or miss. I can play the the time warp at every wedding. Somebody knows the time warp. Somebody does. But yeah, at the Cleveland Shuffle, that one is just hilarious. It, it's just so. Yeah. I need to look it up now because it's going to bother me. Cleveland Shuffle is by Seventy One North. That's what it's okay, called. Gotcha. It's by Seventy One North. But um, yeah, it's requested all the time, and nobody knows the song. It's kind of funny. Um, but I digress. <laughs> so, are, are you done? I'm done. <clears throat> okay. My next song is by Bobby McFerrin. It hit number one in 1988. The song is titled "Don't Worry, Be Happy." Uh, I like this song, Alan. <laughs> song I wrote, you might want to sing it note for note, don't worry, be happy, in every life we have some trouble, but when you worry you make it double, don't worry, be happy, don't worry, be happy now. love it years ago and it is a song that just for me is not aged well now i just it, it's it's cringe hmm. inducing okay. for Let's me hear it. all right so first of all i'm surprised by the song's lasting popularity i mean i am but i'm not but what really amazes me about don't worry be happy is simply how wrong-headed the song is 
Now, through the years, I've met so many people who find this song inspiring. Uh, many listeners report that they, they turn to it for life advice. <laughs> I, I, I find that worrisome, frankly. Perhaps the most appalling atrocity surrounding this former number one hit, and there are many, is that this is how most people remember Bobby McFerrin. McFerrin is a genre-redefining performer and composer with an inimitable vocal style that, that slides between modal and falsetto styles to create this polyphonic effect. Um, he is one of the jazz giants, I mean, and acapella jazz at that. He's recorded, uh, he recorded the first unaccompanied, undubbed vocal jazz album, and it was incredible. He has traveled the world collaborating with the greatest composers and musicians of our time, and yet he is also responsible for this farce, really. Um, now, I guess there's something to be said for selling out, because if you realize you want your career to be in music, and if your chosen format, acapella free improvisation, doesn't always inspire the masses, I don't blame Bobby McFerrin for making a cheery pop song in order to line his wallet. I get it. Um, but this song is just so fatuous, so glib, it's, it's so smug and so ear-bleedingly annoying to me that it had ultimately a, a detrimental effect on his career. You used to like this. I remember I you like I said that, I used that, to. Now, real quick, as a quick aside, do you feel the same about Herbie Hancock, which everything you said about Bob McFerrin fits with Rocket? Because Rocket was no. a crossover, and most people that don't know jazz, that's all they know from yeah, Herbie Hancock. No, Herbie Hancock to me is, is a very different thing. Rocket, okay. Rocket was not meant... He didn't release it with the intent for it to be... Okay. It, it just... It, it, it actually found... Um, airplay in the clubs unexpectedly and that's what led so was don't worry be happy specifically written for cocktail yes okay keep going yeah um so um getting back to to where i was sorry um, no no you're fine you're fine um but here's the thing i i imagine it, it has it's it's had a detrimental effect on his career in large part i imagine it's the i just called to say i love you effect Writ large. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but, but at least Stevie Wonder had almost 20 years of popular genius behind him at the time. Yeah. This song really could do nothing more than make McFerrin a permanent one-hit wonder. And even worse, this is like a crazy frog-style one-hit wonder. What's so god-awful about it, you ask, right? First of all... I'm still waiting, because yeah, you haven't convinced First, me it is the inauthentic faux reggae that appropriates stylistic tropes without any real heart. It's the AABBCC nursery rhyme scheme. It's the faux Jamaican accent that the Brooklyn-born McFerrin inexcusably uses. All right, okay. Uh, you know, but none of that is, is in my mind, the, the culprit. For me, it's simply the pretension that such a saccharine platitude would, would actually have a calming effect on someone who has lost their bed, which is a pretty big problem, if you ask me, and one that requires immediate addressing. Uh, the, the deliberate dumbing down of serious problems into an insulting forget about it philosophy. Akuna Matata. Kind of, con yeah, it kind of confirms that McFerrin has never really known the fear or the anxiety of homelessness, for one thing. It is also an affront to those who suffer from depression. And then there's the whistling and the spoken word injections. The, the song is just a nauseating mess. And the great irony, of course, is that Don't Worry, Be Happy engenders such feelings of hate and anger in me. Wow, but, you know, you've had a 180 on this. I did. I, when did I, this happen? Over the years. I'll tell you exactly. Well, oh, okay, I'm right, getting yeah, there. Right. Indian mystic Meher Baba, okay, often used the expression, don't worry, be happy, when he was cabling his followers in the West. 
and the expression was printed on inspirational cards and posters during the 60s. In 1988, McFerrin noticed a similar poster in the apartment of jazz duo Tuck and Patty in San Francisco, and he was inspired by the expression's charm and simplicity. But let's take a moment to remember that music video, okay? With Robin Williams. Yes. Robin Williams appears in the video, as does the lesser-known comedy uh, comedian Bill Irwin. And the clip, which got lots of airplay on MTV, plays up the comedic nature of the song with lots of goofy hijinks, including a scene where McFerrin plays a distraught investor ready to jump out of a window. That part was actually ripped from the headlines uh, because on October 1987, the the Dow Jones lost 508 points, shedding 22% of its value. In the video, McFerrin is holding a newspaper that reads, Dow plummets 508 points. Now, perhaps you can overlook the railroad concerns of investors. But for me, first of all, it's really hard for me to dismiss turning, you know, a, a... an attempted suicide into a joke, number one. Especially, and this is telling, given that Robin Williams starred in the video. Because here's the thing. But that's in hindsight. I, I know, I know. But it was Williams' death that made me reevaluate the song. Okay, okay. Because one of the finest comedians and most loved actors of his age, I, we all remember the day we learned he had taken his life after battling depression for many years. For me, Williams' suicide, he was one of the few artists that... I can say has really hit hard in, in the list of sure. you know those who have passed in, 100%. in our lifetime. Um, but Robin Williams is a great example because I've, I've really come to, I've kind of, my mind has kind of been opened a bit. I've, I've really become acquainted with a lot of people that suffer from serious depression. And the one thing that I've learned is that telling them just get over it, if they could, they would. You know, it is, it, it's, it's really kind of insulting to, to take someone's pain and, and throw this very simplistic platitude at it. And it, to me, it's just the song, it was fun. I loved it when it came out. I did. You're not wrong. But as the years have gone on, I remember all the suicides that happened at our school. And we, we it, was, it was bad. Um, I remember I've met so many people that have attempted to take their life. I know so many people that suffer from depression and when they do it, it's just crippling. I mean, they, they, you know, that they can't, they can't do anything. They can't breathe half the time. And this song, I think makes light of all that. Now I know it's just, it's meant to be. Well, that's what I was going to say, because if this were a suicide, if this were like, don't give up from Kate Bush and, and, and Peter Gabriel, and the advice they give was just be happy, I would be 100% on board. Yeah. And maybe because of the scene in the video that you mentioned, which I had forgotten about, <clears throat> makes that tie for you with Robin Williams. But I, I've never seen this as a, a song giving advice to depressed people. Um, there's a difference between being depressed and, and having crap going in your life and saying, hey, just be happy. But we've all had those days, right? You spill your coffee. You know, you, you, we get caught up on little things that really don't matter. Mm-hmm. That's where the don't worry, be happy comes in. And that's what I've always taken this as. Like, yeah, you know what? You had a bad morning. You had to wait in traffic. You ran out of gas, whatever. But you know what? You got a lot of good going on in your life. No. I, so to me, I, it's still that light, fun song. And, and I get that. But there also is the song progresses as it continues he starts to make light of some pretty well i don't listen to lyrics i I have no idea what other than don't worry be happy i have no idea what the song is saying yeah the landlord (laughs) says your rent is late okay yeah he he's going to litigate 
don't worry, be happy. Right, right. You know, it's the song. It 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 starts simple enough, exactly how you described it. But as the song goes on, it becomes more and more kind of. I, I don't know. To me, I, I see it, your point. It rubs me the wrong I way. I see your point, but I'd have to go back and listen to it and think for a little bit before I change my mind. Fair enough. Now, Don't Worry, Be Happy, which was included on the soundtrack to the Tom Cruise movie Cocktail, is not the only stinker on that album. <laughs> Kokomo. <laughs> Kokomo comes from that album as well, okay? Um, but Don't Worry, Be Happy is released as a single in conjunction with the movie's release. Um, it holds the record as the only acapella song to ever reach number one on the Hot 100. It won two Grammy Awards the following year for Best Pop Vocal Performance and Song of the Year. And since that time, uh, favorable opinion of the song has significantly declined. I'm not alone in, in what, I'm, what I'm saying. Um, it has been named as the worst song of all time by Village Voice. And in naming the 50 worst songs of all time, Blender said that it's difficult to think of a song more likely to plunge you into suicidal despondency than this. Consequence of Sound, Rolling Stone, and Pitchfork have also lambasted the song for its appalling lyrics. And in 2011, Rolling Stone readers named it number seven on the list of worst songs of the 1980s. Now, to McFerrin's credit, it turns out he's not all that fond of the song either. Um, he hasn't played it in years. He said he just got way too sick of it, and he too, following Robin Williams' suicide, began to second guess the, you know, just the, the simplistic okay, idea so of it. He eschews the topic whenever he's asked about it, thereby, for me, snatching a shred of dignity from, from a pit of shame. So, Well, it makes sense, okay, what you're saying and why those reasons. I guess not being a lyrics person and not having any idea other than don't worry, be happy, I... Love the fact that it's, it's a cappella. Love the fact that Bobby McFerrin is able to do all the instrumentation. Oh, and I love Bobby McFerrin. Don't misunderstand. I think it's a great hook. Um, I don't have, you know, high school memories are hit or miss, right? Because it's high school. Yeah. Um, when I hear this song, I have whatever. I have nostalgic feelings about high school when it came out. Like, it must have been a good day when I heard it. I don't know. But, yeah, yeah. So, okay. All right, I'll give you that, but... It, I can see, I, regardless of the lyrics, I can see why some people would be sick of this song or hate this song because there are a lot of songs that you could put in a similar vein that, that I would hate. I get that. It just happens to be one, maybe like Rebecca Black, that I just don't hate yeah, like everyone no, else. Well, no, and I, yeah. I totally respect and yeah. This is a song I loved. Yeah. I used to sing this song. Yeah. And to me, like, it, it's, you know, it's, it's funny because I, a song that parallels this in so many ways is um, Three Little Birds. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bob Marley. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't worry about a thing. Every little thing is yeah. going to be all right. But to me, the, the difference there is that, well, first of all, it's genuine reggae. I mean, it's not appropriated. I, why he's singing in a, in a, why he's singing in a Jamaican accent in this song, that to me always... Do you think I, it's because of Cocktail? I Possibly, I think. Um, but but the song is actually reggae. And here's the, here's the other thing. As a jazz fan, jazz... Acapella jazz doesn't really work as reggae. If you really listen, if you if you isolate the lyrics and you just listen to the music, it gets very repetitive, very fast. I mean, it's just it's not. I, I don't know. To me, I mean, I I know Bobby McFerrin's music, and this man is incredible. And don't worry, be happy is so. It's unlike anything else he's ever done. I mean, anything else. It was, it was written very clearly for the film. 
And I, I think it's just, I don't know, as something just clicked in me as I got older. I, I don't know if it was the suicide, the string of suicides at, at our school. I don't know if it is some of the people that I've encountered and have become close to in the years, um, you know, and, and their depression. I don't know if it was Robin Williams suicide. I, I, I don't know. But something, as the years have gone on, I started to detest this song. And it's just, I, I know I'm not alone. Cause hey, you I, made a good you know, case. Um, and it's, I don't, I don't know. I, there's no no hard feelings. No, you know, I, I have absolutely no beef with anyone who loves the song. Um, but it, it's just, to me, it just, everything about it just kind of hits the wrong way now. And it just, to me, it's just really uncomfortable to listen to at times. So. As a quick interlude, by the way, this week I was looking at, like I mentioned, I went back and to see what people had ranked. And I was curious to see how many of my songs were on that list. And I found one for the worst albums of all time. And you know what, what was on a lot of those lists? And number one for one particular source? Attila. <laughs> Which, by the way, if you don't know listeners, uh, Billy Joel and, and John Small um, they had this psychedelic acid hard rock duo for one album I think yeah. back in 1970 and yeah it's pretty bad oh, it's I, I thought bad, it was too yeah. obscure for anybody to even yeah. know about no and, and just the fact that they were trying to make acid rock as a two man band <laughs> right you know they have the keyboard and they have the drums they don't even have the guitar right, for the acid right, rock right, it's right. just kind of uh, it's uh, to me that's just that's pure novelty and I know that wasn't the intent right, but, right. but to me it's just fire, fire. It's, yeah it's just Godzilla. laughable yeah um Oh, Attila. I didn't think that was going to be mentioned on this episode. But. Hey, didn't have that on your bingo card. Nope, I did not. All right. Well, since we're, I was in the cringe zone um, with uh, Rod Stewart, so why not get back? In fact, this one may be the cringiest for me uh, of all the songs on my list. And I'm not alone in this, I'm sure. You're having my baby. Oh, good Lord. It's awful. By Paul Anka. And is it Odia Coates? Yeah. Surprise, surprise, not surprise, is another number one. Mm -hmm. The last time Paul Anka had a number one was in 1959. 
The year at this time was 1974. Anka was married with four daughters for whom the song was apparently written for. Yeah, he wrote it for his daughter. Which, whatever, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, she was the inspiration. I get that. He, he wasn't no, writing it I know, for her. I know, I know, she, I know. She's not, she was not having dad's it's, baby. It's already cringy. Don't bring your kids it, I, in this. Yes, agreed. Um, Anka never intended the song to be a duet, uh, but fellow Canadian Odia Coates happened to be hanging around the studio during the recording session, and a record exec uh, suggested the pairing. That's fine. I, I have no beef whether it's a duet or, or not. Right. Um, I have no beef, I guess, musically with the song. It, it, it's the lyrics this time, right? Which, you, not being a lyrics person, you can't ignore. <laughs> there are certain songs you just cannot not hear the lyrics. This yes. is one of them. Um, I thought maybe the song graded on me because of the generation in which I was raised and not my parents' generation. Maybe that's part of it. We've already talked about how the sexual revolution really changed. And, of course, in the last you know 40 years, things have really changed in the way we look at gender and, and, and roles of, of men and women. Um, but even in 1974, people shared my feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the National Organization for Women and this magazine gave this song a couple uh, ironic awards, including Male Chauvinist Pig of the Year to Palenka. <laughs> now, the whole concept portrays, I'm just going to say it, it sounds gross. It portrays a woman as a vessel for a man's offspring. Like some royal family in the Dark Ages. You mentioned Game of Thrones, right? Yep. Where it's all about what bloodline and you know who's going to be king and you better bear me a son. That, that That's all the stuff that is conjured in, in my mind when I hear this song. And then you have lyrics like, God, I can't even say, the need inside you, I see it showing. Whoa, the seed inside you, baby. Do you feel it growing? It's actual it is. verse. Yeah. Um, just changing the title phrase to you're having our baby would have gone a really long way into maybe saving the song for me. Mm. You're having our baby, still cringy. I don't think it would save the song. But not nearly no. as bad <laughs> as you're having my baby. Yeah, I, this one, this is kind of indefensible, really. It's this whole idea that a woman is bearing a child out of obedience to her husband and as a way to show her love to him rather than a mutual experience of two loving parents starting a family. Yeah. And... I'm not alone again in my disgust. A CNN poll in 2006 named it the worst song of all time. Oh, yeah. Now, my, my wife reminded me that there was a Glee episode that featured it. Yeah. And once she explained the context, I remembered the scene. And it actually, it was kind of funny. But uh, It was early in the, the run. It was uh, Quinn and uh, Finn. I, whatever. I guess he was telling, um, telling her parents she's pregnant, and he sings the song to her dinner. So yeah. yeah. It was supposed to be cringy. Um, I, this is what really surprises me here, though. And thank goodness, none of these must have been like recorded in the studio. This, these must be live versions um, in concert. But I've read that Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, Michael Jackson, and even Glenn Danzig all covered this song. That is a very strange assortment of musicians covering. Yes. Well, and I can't imagine any of those four no, no. covering this song. So unless they were doing it ironic, or maybe they did it early, I, I just... I couldn't find anything about it. I couldn't find the versions out there. Thank goodness. Well, here's the thing. I, Dylan and Springsteen, I can't imagine, but uh, okay. Michael Jackson and Danzig? <laughs> what the hell? Well, I could see Danzig maybe taking, well, taking, taking it in yeah, a certain direction. Yeah, ridiculing it. Yeah, ironically. Yeah, I but, get it, but. Um, yeah. Um, I, tend to, I haven't heard them, and I tend to keep it that way. <sighs> so, uh, yeah. I mean, I know things have changed in the way that we look at sexual roles and stuff. And in the 70s, there, you know. It, well, you know, even <sighs> like one song that was on my list for the longest time, and I, I eventually took it off because I didn't want to go there, I guess, was I Am Woman by Helen Reddy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because 
and I don't get me wrong, I, I am on board with the message of that song 100%. But to me, it always made me laugh because, she, you know, I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar. She's not even whimpering. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> like the most, for an angry song, it is the most pleasant and it, I, oh, it's it, another one that's cringeworthy. I mean, it, which came out at the same time, yeah, frankly, yeah, yeah, as, yeah. as Paul Anka. But um, well, at least it was attempting a, a feminist. Message. It was. It was a feminist message, without question. But to me, it's. It, I just. I've always thought it's just so. That is not the song that's going to get people to come to your side. <laughs> it's just a painful song. And Anka said there was an interview, and he said, you know, I don't know if he was just trying to damage control or what, but. He said he did not intend this to be sexist and that he, you know, very much he and his wife were in love and have four daughters and it's a special thing and he wanted to highlight that in the song, you know, and he says, you know, I'm a liberal, I would never, but, you no, know. That, that's a man who's backpedaling is yeah. what that is, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, no, it, it's, 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 it's another one that, that, that pops up sometimes on the, the mellow, you know, S, um, satellite stations that we yeah. listen to in the car. And it's another one that we just, how did this song get yeah, made? <laughs> that's when you turn the station for yep. three minutes, yeah. Okay, my last song for side A. <sighs> Seasons in the Sun by Terry Jacks. <laughs> trusted friend We've known each other since we were nine or ten Together we've climbed hills and trees Learned of love and ABC and Skinned our hearts and skinned our knees Goodbye my friend, it's hard to die When all the birds are singing in the sky Now that the spring is in are everywhere Think of me and I'll be there We had joy, we had fun We had seasons in the sun But the hills that we climbed Were just seasons out of time This hit number one in 1973. Um, In fact, this ghastly song somehow spent three weeks at number one. Um, It is the swan song of a dying man who has spent his young life drinking, carousing, and chasing girls. He's, he's, he is the self-confessed uh, black sheep of the family. And here he lies upon his deathbed, smelling spring in the air and hearing children playing outside. Okay. <laughs> now, saccharine, cloying, cheesy, simplistic, you can throw all these adjectives at it and they stick in the sentimental gloop. They, they just do. This mind-numbingly insipid and soul-crushing song with its pap look at death is terrible for so many reasons. The first is Jack's voice. It's reedy, and at times it sounds like a very bad impression of Kermit the Frog. Okay, <laughs> I hope it lacks. <laughs> that was pretty good. Uh, it, it lacks the emotional gravitas needed to to give dignity to the subject matter. Frankly, musically, it fares just as poorly because there is an early key change, and then another, and another, and another. Until, I was going to say, I'm glad you mentioned yeah, that because that in, was until you are left wondering if the song might continue until it's reached a key that only your dog can hear. Okay. I used to joke about how so many 70s songs do that key change. Yeah. Oh, change. He did this one is, times. it's terrible. <laughs> but worst of all are the lyrics. You see, Seasons in the Sun is not an original song at all. Okay. It is a shamefully syrupy translation by American poet Rod McEwen of a brilliant French song 
by one of the great writers of popular music and lyrics. The original song was actually titled Le Moribond, and the writer was the legendary Jacques Brel. Now, that is a man lionized in France and in much of Europe. Um, chances are good our listeners may not know Jacques Brel. Uh, the, the translation of Brel's title, Le Moribond, is actually The Dying Man. And as written and performed by Brel, the original doesn't have any of the vapid sentimentality or treacly whining that features so prominently in Seasons of the Sun. Rather, Le Moribond is a cynical, wistful, sad, loving, angry, and hilarious, with surprising twists, song. And, and to hear Brel sing it in French, even if you do not understand the language, you can hear it this in his voice. At times, it's just dripping with withering sarcasm, and it's accompanied by a pounding rhythm throughout. Do you know the song, Le Moribond? I don't, no. Okay. It, it, Le Moribond is about a middle-aged man who is saying goodbye to those he knew in his life, okay? But that's where the similarities end. In the first two verses, he says goodbye to his best friend, and then he says goodbye to the priest. And to each of them, he says, I liked you very much. Please take care of my wife when I'm gone. And then almost in defiance of death, spitting in its face, he, he sings in the chorus, I want everyone to sing, dance, and act like fools when they put me in the grave. But then in the third verse, the song takes its twist. He says goodbye to Antoine. And suddenly the tone of his voice changes. You can hear the sneer in his voice as he says, I didn't like you very much. And then rather than ask Antoine to take care of his wife, he sings, since you were her lover when I was alive, I figure you're going to keep taking care of her when I'm gone anyway. And then the song closes with him saying goodbye to his wife, telling her how much he loved her, despite her infidelity. He says that he had kept his eyes closed in life, just as they will now be closed in death. And then the final chorus is more aggressively pounding than ever with heavy drum beats in the background and he thunders, I want everyone to sing, dance, and act like fools when they put me in the grave and then suddenly, bam, the song cuts off. Hmm. You see, the character of Le Moribond actually dies of a broken heart. Interesting. And a great many listeners even interpret the song to be about a man who is so despondent over the loss of his wife to a lover that he actually is killing himself and that's how he knows when he's it's a going bit more to die. Romantic. Yeah. So, but here <laughs> in America, McEwen's translation, translation yes. and Jack's subsequent musical adaptation has tainted that original source by offering us Seasons in the Sun, an overly sugary sweet froth about a young kid breathlessly telling us he had joy, he had fun, he had seasons in the sun. Now, interestingly, I don't know if you knew this, you probably did, Seasons in the Sun was almost performed by the Beach Boys. Really? Yeah. Terry Jacks was friends with the band. Now, this is in the early 70s when the Beach Boys were, you know, this was not their sure. peak musically. Right. But um, he was friends with the band, and the band asked him to produce a song for them, something that Jacks was honored to do. Now, Jacks, he had already been working on this. He played them his arrangement of Seasons in the Sun and suggested that they record it. He thought it would sound great with their harmonies, and he wanted Carl to sing lead. Jax flew to Brian Wilson's house and they began working on the song. Now, everybody know well, most fans of, of you know, of music uh, history know about Brian Wilson. Was he, this during his bed phase? Yeah. He was always the producer and he could spend months working on a song if he wanted to perfect it. But these were Jack's sessions and Brian tried to take over. Mm. And Jax wanted none of it. So, in an interview with Song Facts, Terry Jack said, the thing never got finished. Brian wanted to get hold of the tape 
and add some things. Frankly, I would have given it to Brian. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And the engineer would have to take the tape home at night so that Brian could not get a hold of it. This went on and on, and I was almost having a nervous breakdown because I would put so much energy into this thing, and the stress was really getting to me. So I said, I'm not going to be able to finish this. I can't get you guys all in here together. So it never got completed. There is a demo from the, uh, oh, what, what was the album? Um, from the Beach Boys? Yeah. 2020? Na- 1970, it was 1971. Uh, it was, what was uh, 71? Uh, Holland? Um, I'm trying no. to think of Ceylon Sailor. I, I can't, I'm, I'm going to have to look it up here in a moment. But um, there is a demo of Carl singing it with the Beach Boys, um, their harmonies in the back. Uh, Brian had nothing to do with the demo itself and it's, it doesn't sound too much different than Terry Jack's version but I'm also wondering like you if he had allowed Brian to take over <laughs> perhaps the end result would not be this awful song that we are left with today look we did with Sloop John B I mean yeah can, exactly yeah. Um, because in the end Jax he did work with Al Jardine on the backing vocals and he came up with the arrangement that we know um, that he would use when he recorded the song himself. But, oh, it's just, this song is so... Even before I knew Jacques Brel, even before I heard Le Moribond, I mean, this was just... It, we talked about pandering. This this is pandering. I mean, this is literally... This is the, the new shoes. This is Christmas shoes, right? I mean, he's basically playing to your emotions, and it's just so... Oh. Do you know I actually have this song on CD? Oh, I, I do too. It's yeah. because I had um, somebody in high school gave me, it was like a Radio Shack compilation of like 70s music. <sighs> and um, there were some good ones on there, like Rock the Boat from Hughes Corporation. Oh, Hughes Corporation, okay. Like, but then this was on there too. So. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, this one is just, it always, I mean, and I remember my mom. I, mean, I remember being a kid and this song would come on the radio and my mom would just be crying listening to the song and I could never get it. I mean, just the guy's, Terry Jack's voice alone, I'm, I'm ready for him to die already. Well, just the key <laughs> change. Know? The key change yes. almost sounds like a parody. Oh, like, it is this so is something bad. where Al would do to kind of yeah. show how some songs use that for dramatic oh. effect. Yeah, it's just so bad. And yeah, it, it another number one hit and I just don't get it. I mean, it's just, I know people, I kid you not, who have played this at funerals. Wow. And I'm like, this song is just, it's so obnoxious. It's just, oh, I, I, and to know what the real, what the original was, and the, as you said, lost in translation. It's just, I think of like some of our favorite songs, and someone mistranslating it and turning it into a parody <laughs> of itself. And it's like, oh, it just it. Isn't that what like Saint Etoile from Billy Joel? Kind of like yeah, that? oh, exactly. Yeah, oh, it's awful. Your turn. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure this next um, track is one that the audience has been expecting because, you know, you'll hear DJs on the radio, if they still exist, right? Um, talk, over the years, I've heard DJs mention how this is over and over kind of voted as the worst song of all time. Obviously, what does that really mean? We've kind of gone over that, but this is one that gets brought up quite a bit. And that is We Built This City by Starship. We built this city. We built this city on
say you don't know me I recognize my face Say you don't care who goes To that kind of place Knee deep in the hoopla Sinking in your fight Like I mentioned earlier, in 2016, CNN pulled Paul Anka's having the worst song of all time. But that same year, GQ readers went with Starship for this honor. And Rolling Stone readers declared it the worst song of the 1980s in the biggest blowout since the magazine had been conducting reader polls. Like yeah. it was a landslide. Oh, and this one went to number one as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It did. <laughs> Five of my six picks for worst song this episode went to number one. Uh, it was also nominated for a Grammy. And I'm just wondering, am I that much of a snob? Don't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, a, you're asking a snob if you're a snob, but go, go on. <laughs> the song is panned primarily for its polished corporate song that's at odds with the anti-corporate message of the lyrics. Right. Now, oh, I did not know this. And those lyrics. <laughs> I did not know this until I researched. Do you know who wrote the lyrics? Um, it was Bernie Toppin, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The great Bernie Toppin. Yeah. He's, he's to blame, yeah. And he penned these awful lyrics. Um, now, I like the sentiment, because in L.A. at the time, um, you had all these clubs, you know, throughout the, the 60s and 70s, which produced so many great acts that came up. I think, like, the Troubadour out in California and all these different places, uh, the Greek. But they started shutting down, or corporations were buying these clubs, and then they were turning out, you know, the music, I think, of CBGBs, you know, the music that kind of cultivated... Um, this grassroots movement uh, musically, and instead replacing it with stuff that, that would sell. Um, so they're closing down these clubs, and this was the sentiment that we built the city on rock, and now the corporations are taken away. So I like the sentiment of the song. It's the execution that's poor. Um, and just the lyrics, like exactly how does Marconi, who is the inventor of the radio, play the mamba, a snake. which is a deadly snake. Yeah, I, yeah. Now, it could be mambo, which is a dance, but to be clear, the pronunciation of the, the A... The lyrics specifically say mamba. Yeah, every mamba. Single, I looked yeah. up several, and they say mamba, which yeah. absolutely makes no sense. Yeah, I, I, It would have made more sense to say Marconi plays la bamba. Yeah. <laughs> and that would have fit. Yeah, it would have. Yeah, I, I've always loved that, you know, the inventor of the radio is playing a snake. <laughs> I, um, um, well, and here's the thing. The chorus has absolutely nothing to do with the verses. Yeah. I mean, nothing. I mean, other than the fact that they're trying to claim these right. places back. Yeah, but, but, it, but it, it, that's, I mean, the actual message of the, of, you know, the anti-corporate message, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's a very, I mean, you're, to me, it always has been, you're really stretching it to try and suggest that we built this city on rock and roll. I get rock and roll as an anti-authority right. genre. It, that's how it began. But still, it's it's not a, it, there's a disconnect. And then you have that awful radio jockey. Oh, yeah. Who just starts talking about the traffic on the I bridge. I hear that in my sleep. Yeah, and I'm like... And he's I, talking about San Francisco, but then he mentions a city that doesn't sleep, which is New York. New York, yeah. Now, and he actually is a, a San Francisco DJ, a popular DJ that recorded that. Oh, yeah, and he said he had no idea what he, was, what he signed up for, yeah. <laughs> and there were some... Uh, I guess there was a version of the song that left that blank, and then local DJs could fill in their own little um, you know, uh, in, interlude. 
for me, it's just the corniness of it all. Okay, yeah. this this is, you know, there's a reason why I don't like most David Foster produced music. There's a, there's a reason why I never dug um, Christian music. It's because it's so packaged and so formula and so slick, right? And excuse the pun, gray slick, but <laughs> this, I didn't even catch it. But yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, th- th- this is just—it's a perfect example of that. Just like bleh, right. Um, and here's a band that started out as an anti-establishment hippie band from yeah. San Francisco. Well, you know, in fairness, I think that's why this song gets such a bad rap because it—I think fans of Jefferson Airplane saw the band just. But isn't that kind of a metaphor for the way the eighty like the, the, the that's yeah the boomers went from hippies to voting for Donald Trump exactly yeah but I I do think though that people you know the, the purists the snobs uh, they you know they held so tightly to Jefferson Airplane's legacy and then you're left with Starship and we built this it, it's as far removed from their. The, the role that they played sure, yeah. in the counterculture that it's just I think a lot of people just get, get very angry at what it had become it's a long way from, from White Rabbit yeah oh, and yeah. I understand that's I mean I don't I guess I don't know I'm assuming they changed their name several times right it was Starship or sorry Jefferson Airplane Jefferson Starship and then just Starship yeah um, did they change it because musically they felt they had gone in a different direction I enough think, so that they were a different band? I think that was part of it, but I think, too, as, as the original band members one by one were leaving, they were bringing in new artists, and I think that they didn't want... I, I think, like, in concert, they... You know, they they were trying to remove themselves. Everyone wanted to hear, you know. Yeah, they wanted to hear someone to love or volunteers. Yeah, and, and you know that was not what Starship wanted to play. So I think that that was an attempt. Now I don't know this for certain, but in my as as I would interpret it, they they were trying to make an attempt to remove themselves. It from, would be kind of jarring to hear volunteers followed up by uh, nothing's going to stop us now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now now Grace Slick, I mean, she's still hanging on at this point in the mm-hmm. band, but they had to bring they had to like basically grovel to get her to come back and she is disavowed she's disowned this song i mean she although I although interestingly she when first recorded there are interviews of her talking about how wonderful and how exciting it was to sing well, to it. me it's the one bright spot of the song is her pronunciation and and, yeah. and tone and spirit she brings to it she really has a few moments in that song yeah. the way that she phrases um, um the lyrics that are that are brilliant that's the only part of the song yeah. i like now here's the truth I am not, I'm not a, this is one of those songs like you have said of, of, you know, some of, some of my quirky choices. This is a song that I, I don't hate. I, I, I'm kind of indifferent to it. I, I think it's catchy as hell, which that's what 80s pop sure. was, you know. Um, I, I do think, I mean, is it Jefferson Airplane? I mean, how does it compare? Well, obviously, right. you know, Jefferson Airplane was, you know, almost godlike and Starship is a, a, a joke, frankly, but I, I do like. I, I don't going to stop us now. It's yeah, a guilty pleasure. Well, yeah, I, I don't hate. We built this city. In fact, when I started making my list, and it, it changed many times, my wife looked at me because she loves. We built the city, and she said, "Don't you dare include that song." <laughs> and I said, "Well, I'm not going to." And she said, "Good." And then she saw your list, and she's like, <laughs> "I bet you're thrilled, aren't you?" And I'm like, "I don't hate this song. I well, really, I really don't." Gail, I don't, I don't hate this song either. Um, but I understand. Well, here's the thing: 
we talked at the top of the show that most of these are just our personal preferences, but I felt like we had an obligation yeah. to add some that have been thrown around. As, oh, yeah. You know, and so I don't feel as passionately about this as I do what for like she's, ha- you know, you're having my baby or whatever. Um, I don't love the song, but but I will admit there's there's a little bit of guilty pleasure that brings back again those memories from from middle school when this song came out. Oh so, yeah. Um, although their pronunciation, or at least Mickey Thomas's pronunciation, Grace Slick I think is brilliant, but um, Mickey Thomas's pronunciation and the confusion with the lyrics to begin with, I, I totally miss here heard most of these lyrics. Um, and and they just never made made sense to me. Again, it's weird. Some songs I can just ignore the lyrics, and uh, some you just can't. They're just out front. And this right. was one of those. And I kept trying to figure out what the hell are they saying. So yeah, I don't I don't hate this with the fervor, but I, I think we needed to bring it up because it is such a reviled song in pop culture. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Um, uh, well, wow, we just that's um, side A. That oh wow, I'm just looking at the time. <laughs> Without music, we're about two hours, folks. So about uh, two hours and twenty minutes. But I got to tell you, this has been a lot of fun. It has, it has. And side fun. side two, I, I've got. I think side two is the worst of my worst songs. So I'm looking forward to coming back in two weeks. All right. Well, let's uh, let's end this here, and we'll be back in two weeks. Okay. Um, and that's all for this time. Hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk. Another mix of memories awaits in two weeks. But for now, press pause, lift that needle, and hit eject, and we will see you on the flip side. In a box undigified Gonna rewind and give them one more try Think about the days of lo-fi Mixtape Memorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day Mixtape Phonograph and dual cassette Before you could get everything on the internet But some things ain't made it there yet Mixtape Line in, line out if you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker, turn the volume to nine Here's an accidental slice of time
No iPod shuffle, you know your fate Mixtape Compiled by a friend, amateur DJing With no concern for what format's playing It was more about what the songs were saying Mixtape Got some Merle Haggard and old George Jones Someone yelling in the background I thought I heard a phone But it's nice when you're all alone To have a mixtape Line in, line out If you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker Turn the volume to nine There's an accidental slice of time